0: On May 18th of last year, you were sitting and writing in your room. They're they're the writings of a maniac. They're the writings of Sirhan Sirhan. Yes, but they're not the writings of me now. I'm not mentally ill, sir, but I'm not perfect either.
1: Ah Listen, living, listening to synchronon.
2: Sick and Rod. Yes. You listen to the Sick and Ron. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosties, Simon.
3: Put on your tin foil hats. I am the ghost of RFK. I'm not Just really. cracking there.
2: King
1: Rambo slash ghost of RFK. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs>
3: i'm I'm clearly the ghost of bobby kennedy can you not tell i have that massachusetts i really like clam chowder and uh yeah i I died before my time can you not tell
2: i i couldn't but i I guess i could see that you have your you change your name on the zoom to ghost of rfk so
3: yeah so that means it's true right that's the internet if you type it on a chat and in the internet, it's, it's now a fact and it's common knowledge.
2: Well, your name was Glenn Danzig before, which I didn't believe either. So I will RFK, go back I'll to be, go with that. I'll go with that.
3: I will be back to Danzig before you know it.
2: So how you doing there, Kate Rambo? I know you were sick recently. Did the, uh, explosive diarrhea settle down? Is everything <laughs> back to normal with the GI?
3: I did not suffer from that ailment. <laughs> <like> <laughs> I you. Thought that's what
2: the problem was.
3: No, I had like a weird, I basically had nearly every COVID symptom, but I didn't have the COVID. I was just Ah. absolutely exhausted. I had two days where I slept for 20 hours, which is insane. And then another day where I actually ended up sleeping for 22 hours. Just like flat out as well. Didn't wake up or anything.
2: You were telling me about that, which is insane. I, I don't even know if I've ever slept for that long.
3: I think I should be studied by medical science.
2: Well, I think you might have KLS.
3: What is that like? K. Um, what's that band who did "Justified and Ancient"? The KLF, "Justified and We're Ancient." Oh, you know I know that, that
2: song. Yeah, yeah, the KLF. Right. No, this is KLS, Klein Levin Syndrome. You ever heard of that? What?
3: No, not now. Until I'm thinking.
2: Now. I mean, i you know obviously I'm not a doctor. I'm not trained. I've never really been educated any kind of medical training. But, but I internet. have the internet. Yeah. So I'm a professional. Um, Klein-Levin syndrome here. People who have this experience recurring episodes of prolonged sleep, hypersomnia. In most cases, patients sleep 15 to 21 hours a day during episodes.
3: I can easily do that though. Like easily sleep for 15, 16 hours.
2: Excessive appetite, hyperphagia.
3: What's hyperphagia? Is that excessive, excessive appetite? appetite? Yeah. I don't. I don't have that.
2: Unusual cravings are present in two half to two thirds of cases. You were just, were were you just saying you were craving? uh, What was that? Like chips, hash browns, hash browns, hash browns from McDonald's. Hash browns are
3: not chips, D. Simon. Different thing.
2: All right, all right. But what I'm saying, that's an unusual craving.
3: True. You know, it's quite a general craving, though. I think everyone wants McDonald's hash browns.
2: Half of the patients experience dramatically increased sexual urges, hypersexuality. I think that applies well, to you. I think I am the audience agrees. Slag. You're a northern <laughs> you're a northern slag. You've had like 30 abortions. I would say yeah.
1: At least. <laughs>
0: um,
2: some other uh symptoms include um marked changes in mood, cognitive ability. I can That's see true. that one. Um yeah. derealization can happen, severe apathy. That's about eighty yeah. percent of the cases. That.
3: Definitely got that.
2: Some patients experience hallucinations or um or delusions,
3: not yet, but let's hope. I would like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could see that. well, you know, you never know. It's not. This is just kind of like this. This is the range of the gamut of symptoms here. Um, some individuals usually, when they're in the state of uh, KLS, they can't remember what happened during the episode. So uh, you know, they might wake up. They might have headaches. Um, some even act very childlike during these uh, these episodes. And they found that a lot of people who suffer from KLS are prone to hypnosis. So they have a suggestive type of psyche. So they're prone to actually being um, able to undergo hypnosis.
3: I've always said I would be a good, be able to be hypnotized because I can lucid dream. And if you can lucid dream, you're pretty much like one step below being hypnotized. But I've never wanted to go and do it because it's always those jokesters who make you like pretend you're, Sucking off a ton of men on stage, and then everyone laughs at you. <laughs> well,
2: I was my, about to my... say, like, we were talking about this the other day. I think maybe on Patreon or the outtakes or something about hip, like being hypnotized. Have you ever been hypnotized?
3: No, because I'm scared of it. Because I don't want to like have a whole room full of people laughing at me while I'm pretending to be like a dog shagging a chair. That's Would not you... my idea of okay. a good time, bro.
2: But I'm saying, have you ever been hypnotized by like a therapist or any anything like that, or a doctor or anything like that?
3: No, I've never, I've never, but I would, I would like to go and or be hypnotized friend. by a doctor. Yeah, from all my hypnotist friends, <laughs> all my magician friends. That <laughs> I no one's with. ever
2: tried to do it with like, you know, like a necklace or something with like a bauble on the end of it.
3: Like, you know, you've, you everyone has tried to hypnotize themselves. Like we've all done it with like our spare five minutes free after we've like been saying Candyman into the mirror five times. We've all done it, but it's never worked.
2: I'm thinking... Uh, eventually when COVID's done, they open up back this, they open up the country. They open up our borders. I'm thinking we should do a sick and wrong excursion to Las Vegas where Anthony cools. He's a, uh, adult hypnotist and he puts on oh. a, a very entertaining show. We could see if he could hypnotize you.
3: This is what Capture I don't
2: want. Capture it on film. $10 this Patreon is... level.
3: This is what I don't want. I don't want like 500 people laughing at me.
2: I wonder if that would work on you.
3: I think it would, because I'm um, like one step below being able to be hypnotized. We,
2: you know, we went there. I know I talked about this on the show a while ago, because it, it was a while ago. But um, it was uh, my sister's friend's 30th birthday. I forget why we were there. But we were all there. We went to see the show Anthony Cools. Like, yeah, it was Sarah Kessler's 30th birthday. That's what it was. Sarah's uh, mother bought uh, tickets for everybody. And um, we all went as part of her like birthday thing. And the the hypnotist guy was walking around, and he would like look at you, and he could tell just by looking at you whether or not it would work on you. Okay. Yeah, and so he he pointed at Big Jerry. He's like, "You up on stage?" And, and I was just like, "You know, we we go to him like, come on, come on, let's just see if this would work.'" And Jerry went up on stage, and uh, oh my god, it worked like it worked like a charm on him, and he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh No, he, like, convinced him that, like, when he'd walk over and put his uh, microphone on his shoulder, he convinced him that it was, like, a 13-inch dick. And so Jer would, like, get all weird because he was, like, the guy's putting his dick on my shoulder. You know, he's getting all, like, creeped out by it. I forget, he also, like, had him at one point, like, doggy-style fucking a chair.
3: See, this is what I don't want. I don't want to be doing that. It'd be
2: hilarious.
3: I'm, I'm too British. I'm too straight-laced. <laughs> I would never want to think about it ever again. That's why we have you Americans, so you guys can do stuff like that.
2: Yeah, there there was some... He had this one girl convinced that her vagina was giving, like, these dirty secrets away. And he was like... Well, every time he said, like, the word Snapple or something. And then the girl would turn bright red, and he'd be like, would you shut that thing up? Like, she, But, I mean, they know... Like, Jer said... He knew what he was doing was weird, and not, not necessarily wrong, he just knew it wasn't, didn't make any sense, but he said he felt compelled to do it. Oh, So, okay. so Kate Rambo, there's a reason in my rhyme here. This week, a lot of people probably reading the news, after 16 tries, Sirhan Sirhan, um, the man who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy, was recommended for parole by the California Parole Board. 16 tries, he's been, he's been uh, incarcerated for 53 years, Right, Since 1968, when he assassinated Robert F. Kennedy here in Los Angeles. It's about the same...
3: Yeah, Bobby Beausoleil has been in jail about the same amount of time as well.
2: But he's tried 16 times, and finally now he's been recommended for parole. He didn't get parole, but he's been recommended for parole. It's up to the governor. Um, But uh, what's kind of odd about it is that uh, Robert F. Kennedy's two of his sons support the release. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, and uh, uh, what's his other son's name? Um, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. definitely fa- uh, favors the release, and the other Kennedy, I forget his name. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Well, like um, their I, I'm their ghost
3: dad. I'm quite proud of them for being so forgiving. <laughs> I should visit them. In but the sleep. thing
2: is, though, there's a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding the assassination of RFK. A lot oh, of people yeah. think, and including Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Kennedy's oh. own son feel that uh, Sirhan Sirhan did not act alone they feel that there were nefarious forces controlling him
3: oh is this going to turn into an all of a stone film
2: <laughs> well I'm just saying you know yes. everybody knows <laughs> about the JFK assassination the, the pruder film the grassy knoll and all that but a lot of people don't even really think about Robert F. Kennedy
3: which I think's a real shame. I was saying to you, I think on the outtakes, I actually listened to his speeches a lot, especially the mindless menace of violence. I listen, I, I listen to that to get pumped up. It's one of those speeches where it's very evocative, and I think had he lived, you can never say things might have changed. But I think he would have made a real impact.
2: But and same with his brother. I think he would have followed in his brother's footsteps, actually. Um, it was Douglas Kennedy. Douglas Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. both think that uh, Sirhan Sirhan um, is an innocent, but they think he should be released. And they uh, wrote to the parole board recommending that he be released from prison after 53 years at age oh, 77. Wow. Yeah, uh, but not all the uh, Kennedys agree with this. You know, um, There's like six other siblings that are just completely against it, but we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> Um, So California Parole Board this week recommended that uh, Sirhan Sirhan should be granted parole um, mainly due to uh, the impassioned pleas of two of Robert F. Kennedy's sons. Let's uh, get a picture of Sirhan Sirhan here. Um, He's a 77-year-old man and uh, he's definitely... um, There he is. There's Sirhan Sirhan on the right, what he looks like now. There's what he looked like back in 1968. And right smack in the middle is uh, Robert F. Kennedy... Um, who is it? Do you think Robert F. Kennedy was the most attractive Kennedy?
3: To me, he is like JFK. Is ginger and he wore a girdle and he was always <laughs> he in a bad a girdle, mood. He? he wore a girdle. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to be like Mar- But Marilyn Monroe, she also said that her favorite Kennedy was. Um, uh, Bobby. I think Bobby's just there's something kind of sweeter about him. I think he would treat you a bit nicer. JFK was a bit of a hound dog. He,
2: he does look like a, just the all-American, doesn't he? Just yeah, he kind of he like did. an all-American uh, type of guy here. Go to, go to the second picture. So here's a, a picture of uh, classic Robert F. Kennedy running for president. Or he's a presidential candidate. Uh, he probably yes. would have won definitely at that time. And the third picture is the three brothers there JFK on the left, Bobby in the middle, and Teddy over there on the right. Um, Do you recall? Teddy's
3: a murderer. Yeah, do you recall the Chappaquiddick
2: incident? There.
3: Yeah, Yeah, this is a reason why I don't count Teddy as the most handsome of the brothers because he's a murderer, and I just don't want to like have a dick from a murderer put inside me.
2: He also has like, uh, look at that. It's like he has like no upper lip. Like he's like. "Ah." That's true. You know. They're,
3: you know, for the American royal family, I think they could have been more attractive.
2: This get well, I'm sure there's a lot of inbreeding going on there. But this guy oh, yeah. this guy drunk driving, like wasted with a woman with like his girlfriend or something, goes off a bridge and they drown. He somehow escapes, claims that he dove down like six times to try to save her and then just like mm-hmm. went home. Didn't yeah, even call Teddy. the cops.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, left Go the scene wait, of an then.
2: accident. Yeah, oh yeah, I think he got like, I don't know, like twenty hours of probation or something, something like that. A probation and twenty hours of community service. He he basically got a slap on the wrist. But that's because they're the Kennedys. So out of this, out of these three dudes, you would um you would choose the middle you choose Bobby yeah Bobby. Over there.
3: yeah, Bobby, you know, he's kind of dirty blonde as well. He's not ginger and he's not dark. He's like a dirty blonde. He'll, he'll do fine. He'll do just fine.
2: You wouldn't do a Kennedy gangbang? A Kennedy the, cocky?
3: Well, I think Marilyn Monroe would have. She She'd probably have did. All three of them. <laughs> Definitely well, two.
2: <laughs> Sirhan Sirhan shot the guy in the middle there. Uh, he killed the former attorney general, Attorney General, Senator, and presidential hopeful in uh, Robert Kennedy in 1968 at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Uh, Kennedy had just delivered a speech following his victory in the California's uh, Democratic primary, and uh, was in the, and that's when he was assassinated at the hotel. The Ambassador doesn't exist anymore, but it was located right across the street from one of my favorite bars in K-Town, uh, the HMS oh, wow. Bounty. Yeah, HMS Bounty's a great—I lo- I love nautical-themed bars—
3: Oh, so it's not—it's not like a, its not like the Queen Mary. It's not a ship. It's just a nautical theme bar. It's a
2: nautical theme bar. Yeah, That's it's, hilarious. It's not a ship, but and it, it's great. It's like owned by like some old Asian people, and you go in there, and it's 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 very divey. They have decent food, like kind of pub food. Um, but the Ambassador used to be right across the street, um, but they—I uh, think in like 1989 they tore it down. Or no, they tore it down. They closed in 19- the hotel closed in eighty nine, and they tore it down in 2005. And now it's like six public schools. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Community Schools are in that location. So uh, Sirhan Sirhan, full name, Sirhan Bishara Sirhan. I love that, th- I love that his parents are like, we're going to name your, your first name the same as your last name.
3: It's the to kind of lazy, Bowie, but at the same time, it does make for an iconic name.
2: I, I kind of like it? if Simon was my middle name and D was my last, it'd be like D Simon D, like D D.
3: D D. Well, D D is obviously D D. name. We all love him. That's but a great like name. Simon Simon, Simon Simon, Simon Simon, Paul Simon. I'm going off on a tangent here. Sirhan
2: <laughs> Sirhan, though, is a cool. I, I always liked that name. I never really thought about it. It was just like. I guess I never really even thought that Sirhan was his last name. I just thought his first name was Sirhan Sirhan. But yeah, his, his whole name is Sirhan Bishara Sirhan. Uh, He served 53 years in prison. He's now 77 years old and he has long maintained that he has no recollection of the killing. Doesn't remember the assassination at all. He remembers the night, he remembers parts of the night, moments, but he doesn't remember the actual like assassination.
3: Oh, they always say this, don't they? Uh, I was there. But uh, it wasn't me.
2: <laughs> well, at the um, at the virtual proceeding in front of the parole board, he said he's learned to control his anger. Um, he's committed to living peacefully. He said that Senator Kennedy was the hope of the world, and I harmed all of them, and it pains me to experience that, the knowledge for such a horrible deed, if I did, in fact, do that.
3: Oh, that's like O.J. Simpson. You remember when he released his book, If I Did It?
2: If he actually did that.
3: Yeah, if I, if I did it, was it me? Like, oh, come on. This would be, if I was his parole board member, I'd be like, oh, if you did it, staying inside. Because you did it. But you're well, going to tell me how he, he might not have it. He has no recollection
2: it. of it here. So Douglas Kennedy was a toddler when his father was killed. He told the two-person board panel that he was moved to tears by Sirhan's remorse. He's overwhelmed just by being able to view Sirhan face-to-face. A... Uh, Dougie, this guy shot your father. He killed your
3: father, who yeah. is the ho- was the hope of the new world. Murdered
2: your father, but yet you're overwhelmed to see him face to face. He said he lived his life in fear and, uh, and you know, fear. He, he, he lived his life both in fear of him and his name in one way or another. And he's grateful today to see him as a human being, rather as a criminal. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has actually researched like for, for decades into the murder of his father, um, he also supports Sirhan's release. In a letter to the parole board, he said that uh, he met Sirhan in prison in San Diego when he was in San Diego, and he was moved uh, by the killer's remorse. He, uh, he wept, he clenched his hands, and he begged Robert F. Kennedy here for forgiveness. Uh, Paul Schrade, who is an aide to RFK, was among five people who were actually wounded in the shooting at the ambassador. He also spoke in favor of Sirhan's release. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of people here that support releasing Sirhan Sirhan after 53 years. Like, Do do you think people can be rehabilitated?
3: Well, That's the entire point of prison. But I think the difference here is that he maybe should not have gone to prison at all. I think he should have gone to the Nut House. He's not, it's not okay to me. I think when we get into it later on, you'll see why I think he should have gone to the Nut House. But you're not supposed to be sent to prison to rot till you die, unless you know you're somebody like the Green River Killer who's doing 300 years consecutively. If you're there with the possibility of parole, you should have. A parole at some point, point. and he is seventy seven. Although I would love it if he came out of jail and just shot someone.
2: <laughs> as soon as he got released, he's just go shoot yeah, another bang, politician. Yeah, bang bang,
3: would be great. I can
2: recommend a few, Sirhan, Sirhan. <laughs> just uh, um, <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Green, <clears throat> Rudy Giuliani. Oh, he's not a politician, but you can shoot him too. Um, this hearing marks Sirhan's sixteenth attempt at a securing parole. Um, at the last hearing in 2016, they determined that he showed no, ad- he did not show adequate remorse. He also didn't understand the enormity of the crime. That was only a few years ago. Does. Yeah. Uh, he was convicted of uh, first degree murder and sentenced to death, but that was later commuted to life when they outlawed capital punishment in 1972. So a lot of scholars feel that the assassination of RFK is. Perhaps the most ignored American historical milestone in the second half of the twentieth century.
3: Oh uh, yeah, because it's not as famous as JFK. Well, I think it was overshadowed
2: certainly... by his brother.
3: Oh yeah, completely. But it's definitely something that did change, like a counterculture movement. It's a
2: milestone, though. It's a it's a milestone assassination. It's up there with uh, JFK. It's up there with uh, Martin Luther King. You know, it's like these are like huge, you know, uh, assassinations. And, and you know that that changed history but yet not much is known about rfk and i mean I, I gotta say i didn't really know all that much about the assassination either or like a lot of the conspiracies surrounding it till i kind of like went into it this week um watched a couple documentaries some great documentaries actually out about that two uh, two major films um you know historical fiction uh came out about it. i think bobby directed by emilio estevez did oh, you wow. see that one? Yeah, it came out in like, uh, I think it was the mid-aughts. Um, so RFK here, the 42-year-old younger brother of assassinated President uh, JFK, was U- U.S. Attorney General from 1961 to 1964, and he was elected to the U.S. Senate uh, to represent uh, New York in 1964. So at the time of his assassination, he had just won the 1968 Democratic presidential primary election in California. And was regarded widely that he's going to be the next uh, president of the United States, um, but that 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 dream kind of went out the window with uh, Sirhan Sirhan. He, had bang, something he went, with bang, yeah, it? went out with
3: a bang, didn't it? Yeah,
2: that went out with a bang. So the assassination took place um, shortly after midnight. It's kind of a late party here on Wednesday, June fifth, nineteen sixty-eight. As RFK was walking through a crowded food preparation area known as the Kitchen Pantry, of the Ambassador Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard in uh, Los Angeles, California. The alleged assassin, Sirhan Sirhan, was a 24-year-old Palestinian, a non-Muslim, He's a Christian, actually, uh, with Jordanian citizenship. Uh, he was one of 77 people in the pantry waiting for RFK to pass through on his way to a press conference. When the senator entered... Sirhan pulled out an, an eight-shot twenty-two caliber revolver, pointed it at the senator, fired eight times. He was immediately seized by bystanders, wrestled to the floor, and turned over to police uh, when they arrived. So we've got a few pictures here of the uh, actual murder. Uh, I think it's pick four, five, and six. So here, here's, um, yeah. So here's the actual, the famous uh, murder. There's uh RFK shot laying on the ground. I think he's he might even be dead at that point looks like he has like one eye closed one eye open
3: yeah it didn't take uh, he didn't die in the hospital did he he died there you know j f k actually survived for quite a while j f k was um he died in parkland he didn't die instantly
2: yeah i don't know if uh i'm not sure if he died there or if he died uh later on
3: i think he died at the ambassador hotel i think that was the other difference was that it's weird that JFK basically had half his head yeah, blown head off. Blown yeah, had blown off yet he still lived. He still. Yeah, he still lived up until in Parkland. I think he was in pa- about half an hour in side of it was Parkland. This there's, is one of the famous pictures from Life magazine.
2: Yeah, there's the famous photo of him just kind of being like, yo, I've been shot. Yeah. Dude, WTF.
3: Yeah, dude, why are you me, doing bro. man? I'm and against then, uh, violence, man.
2: Here's a picture of 22-year-old uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Getting arrested. Kinda of looks he like looks he's so
3: young here. You would never know he was twenty-two. I'd be like, that's a sixteen-year-old.
2: Kinda of looks like Anthony Kiedis or something. Kind of.
3: He's he's attractive. I'm I'm not gonna say yeah, I not think he's good looking. looking. Guy. Yeah.
2: Uh six people in the pantry received bullet wounds. Three bullets stu- struck RFK. One lodged in his spine near the neck. Another bullet exited his chest, and a third bullet, the fatal one, entered his head and a fourth bullet passed harmlessly through his clothing. Uh, The five other victims were shot non-fatally. Sirhan's California state court trial for the murder of RFK uh, began on February 13th, 1969, and ended two months later on April 17th when uh, the jury found him guilty. Uh, The trial imposed a death sentence, or the trial judge imposed a death sentence, reduced it to life imprisonment by the uh, California Supreme Court in 1972. And incarcerated now for uh, 53 years, Sirhan is still serving that sentence. Um, so, the official government version of the RFK assassination, this is a stated view of the FBI, the LAPD, and prosecutors in the LADA's office, is that Sirhan was the lone assassin, that Sirhan fired all the shots in the pantry, and that there is no conspiracy whatsoever.
3: This is also the view I am taking,
2: so according to the official narrative of the assassination, therefore a single assassin acting alone slew r f k now that's that's the thing though i mean, do you think about j f k he was in a moving vehicle, like driving you know down the like in the uh the the parade or whatever um to shoot him would be a little bit more difficult because you're not going to be able to run right up the vehicle and shoot him point blank. Whereas yeah. RFK was just walking through the pantry. Obviously, it doesn't sound like anyone like frisked anybody. So anyone, in theory, could have walked up to him point blank and shot the guy in the head.
3: That's true, but that could happen with anyone at any time. Look at Jill Dando, for instance. She, Do you remember Jill Dando?
2: No. This it? might be too
3: British for you. She was... um a news anchor reporter and she got shot on her front doorstep just putting the the keys in her door so
2: was she anyone, was she famous
3: yeah Jill Dando she was like on um I want to say crime watch which oh, is a big okay. British thing over here but you don't but have what I'm, to have what I'm massive seeing... security anyone can shoot this is going to get us flagged. But anyone can shoot a president if they really want to.
2: <laughs> well, I'm saying it's, it can be more difficult. I think now it'd be a lot more difficult. But, it, but with, but with uh, JFK, watching that, looking, I, I, would assume, I could believe, like, yeah, look how difficult this shot is. I mean, this guy's driving a car, and I could see conceivably that there could be more shooters. But with RFK, it's like a lone assassin easily could have taken that guy out. And and, point and Blank. Did. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> but for people, many people, uh, one in particular, uh, Lisa Peace, who wrote a book called uh, A Lie Too Big to Fail that came out on uh, Feral House in 2018, and Good assassination publisher. researcher uh, James DiEugenio, uh, they've scrutinized the facts surrounding this RFK assassination, examined the quality, of the official investigation that happened afterwards, and they think that that it all lacks credibility. They said there's glaring weaknesses, particularly in the no conspiracy contention. Uh, they feel that there's major discrepancies between the official account and the actual evidence. The official probe of the murder was substandard, and they feel it amounted to a cover-up, which isn't, you know, beyond disbelief. I mean, the LAPD oh, yeah. is very corrupt. Especially at that time, you know. My
3: tinfoil hat is on. D. You're you're opening up my mind right now.
2: (laughs) There's ballistics and autopsy evidence establishing the existence of a conspiracy. So let's get into it. So just examining a few different ones. There's like probably five major ones, but there's some like I don't know, glaring (laughs) inconsistencies. Like I was, I mean, even myself. Like I'm a skeptic by my nature, and just reading it, I'm just like, I don't know. It gave me pause. Several things gave me pause. So let's look at the ballistics evidence. This is part of the conspiracy. So Sirhan's pistol, when fully loaded, held uh, eight bullets. Had eight bullet cartridge. Um, evidence that more than eight shots were fired in the pantry conclusively proves that there was more than one shooter. Hence, a conspiracy. I mean, Sirhan didn't couldn't didn't have an opportunity to to reload his weapon, but there were definitely eight more shots. than eight shots that were fired. How?
3: How was there definitely more? Police
2: recovered seven bullets from the bodies of the six victims, including that an eighth bullet, which was not recovered, was lost in the ceiling inner space. Yet there were at least two bullets in the pantry's doorways, as well as according to police, an unbelievable number of bullet holes in the ceiling panels. At least ten bullets, almost certainly several more, were fired. The episode not by
3: the police, so
2: The police weren't shooting anyone.
3: Oh, the security guards?
2: Possibly. Um, possibly other gunmen, gunning for RFK. <laughs> the evidence of conspiracy from the number of bullet holes is not a new thing. But the author here, Lisa Peace, re-examined police and FBI photos of the doorways and, um, that were pierced by the bullets. And she argues that at a bare minimum, there were 12 bullets had to been fired in the pantry. So he had a gun that could shoot eight. So four more shots were definitely fired. So more more than eight shots. And there were definitely more than just one lone shooter. And that's How? What...
3: How do they know that these bullet holes have not just been there forever upon ever? How do they know that they were fired then? And, like, is there pictures of this? Are there definite proof that they tested it and said that it's the same type of bullet or it's a different well, type of bullet? Well, they don't know bullet? what kind
2: of bullet. I think they probably saw that there were, like, these refresh, you know, marks of a you know, bullet being fired. So they're fired.
3: marks, they're not bullet holes. They're just like marks well, that they're looking at in a grainy picture going, that looks like a bullet hole to me.
2: Sirhan's attor- attorneys at his trial ignored the bullet holes issue. They were aware that there were many bullet holes. I mean, this isn't a police report. The police reported this.
3: Okay.
2: And so the, the attorneys were, you know, the attorneys knew about this, but they ignored it because they were trying to avoid the death penalty for a client that they believed guilty. And they stipulated throughout the trial that, you know, um, they stipulated things throughout the trial to basically say, like, you know, the prosecution is giving questionable evidence, but they were really trying to, like, go the, uh, you know, the mental health route to try to avoid just having a, you know, death penalty conviction. So they kind of discounted that there were there was questionable evidence basically being put forth by the prosecution. Um, After Sirhan's trial, but before his uh, his appeal, the LAPD secretly destroyed the doorways and the ceiling panels of the but hotel. But why? Maybe because yeah. they, they want to go to lone gunman <laughs> theory. You don't know. And that since then, the hotel has been raised, so we'll never really know that.
3: Well, we won't really know, ever.
2: So there's one conspiracy. There's one all right, you don't. Have to, I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you with just that one. But let's look at the autopsy evidence.
3: Let's so, do this.
2: Unlike JFK, his assassinated brother RFK received a first-class autopsy, whose results are trustworthy. Renowned medical examiner Thomas Noguchi performed here he is. the autopsy. So here he is. Here's uh, Noguchi.
3: I have talked about Thomas Noguchi a lot in Overkill. Pretty much every week. I mentioned Thomas Noguchi, and here he is.
2: Corner to the stars here. Chief medical examiner for uh, Los Angeles County from 1967 to 1982, Dr. Thomas T. Noguchi saw the best and worst of L.A. Movie stars, gangsters, rock stars, politicians, victims of serial killers. Just to name a few, Sharon Tate. He he gave her an autopsy. Uh, Natalie Wood, Robert F. Kennedy, Janis Joplin, John Belushi, and probably the most famous, Marilyn Monroe.
3: Here she is. Yeah. In situ. So there's uh,
2: Marilyn Monroe on the autopsy table here. So his report and Noguchi's trial testimony reveal, one, all three bullets striking RFK were fired from behind him. And two, the three bullets had been fired at point-blank range. The muzzle distance was very, very close. The fatal bullet was fired from a firearm one inch from the edge of RFK's right ear and three inches behind his head. Sirhan could not possibly have fired these three shots. He was in front of RFK and never came within four or five feet of him.
3: I would like to say as much as I admire uh, Dr. Noguchi and I talk about him a lot, he's not right all the time. He's made mistakes. He made mistakes in the Marilyn Monroe autopsy as well. He's also not—I'm going to say—a ballistics expert, so yeah, he Yeah, but can, he might have
2: consulted with people in order to. Uh, he
3: could have, but uh, that's not his job necessarily. Yeah, but he's it's a, his job to theorize.
2: Well, possibly, but I mean, it's—he probably, after you know, years of training, he probably could tell if if a shot was fired at point blank range and which you know direction the shot was fired from.
3: Oh, yeah, he can. But like I said, he's made mistakes in the past.
2: But it's he suspicious that there are three shots, point blank range that came from behind Robert F. Kennedy.
3: Does yeah.
2: Um, yeah. You know, contradicts the lone gunman theory, but, <laughs> you know, going along with the strategy of not disputing his guilt because his trial lawyers were like this guy confessed. He's guilty. We're just trying to spare him from the death penalty. They disregarded the autopsy evidence. So they disregarded the ballistics evidence. They disregarded the autopsy evidence. Well, now we look into another, another part of this conspiracy. I mean, it's a very, it's a webbed conspiracy. Um, the police cover up and the CIA here. So the LAPD investigation of, his, of uh, RFK's assassination was oddly botched, to say the least. Definitely looks like a bit of a cover-up. There were many suspicious circumstances that were ignored. There were many leads that were not pursued. A dozen or more unknown people in the Master Hotel who had acted suspiciously were never even identified. There were witnesses with no reason to lie who gave plausible statements suggesting the presence of other gunmen and other people were urged to change their story and treated coldly or completely dismissed. I-
3: I always say this in this case. Eyewitness testimony is worth nothing. You get laughed out of court if you take in eyewitness testimony and nothing else because people have different views and you remember things different. What's that it, there's an old Chinese proverb where it says even the palest ink is better than the best memory. Cuz you do. You, things warp in your mind and change. And so I would subjective.
1: never Definitely. And memory is totally but subjective, at
3: the same time, especially in a situation like that. But
2: if you're an investigator, don't you want to hear from all the witnesses just to kind of like see if there's consistencies or see if there's correlation between what people, people if see?
3: Yeah, if you're a good investigator. But at this time, there was a lot of corruption and they weren't being paid very well. So if you're not being paid very well, you're not going to do a good job.
2: Or maybe they unhappy. were being paid well.
3: Ooh, but by to destroy whom, some evidence
2: that's the question dun, dun, so there are questionable statements <laughs> given by people with reason to lie were accepted right at face value Like there are certain people that are like really the, the, you weren't even there it's like oh okay no we're going we're gonna to take that at face value that is the gospel truth and that's what we're going to put down in our report our written witness interview statements were altered over 3,400 witness interview tape recordings destroyed no one even knows where they went. There were oh. transcripts of uh, undestroyed uh, witness interview tapes that did not correspond to what was actually on the tapes.
3: So that yeah, you're basically saying that they've they've molded they it. They falsified data. A case.
2: Yeah. yeah, they falsified data. Uh, crime lab experts tampered with evidence. There are fake test results. Um, over 2,400 photos were incinerated. Physical evidence, like I mentioned before, the doorways and ceiling panels, panels of uh, the ambassador, the pantry in the ambassador, were also destroyed. And the crime lab could not match any of the recovered bullets with Sir Hen's pistol, his 22.
3: This is, I hope this is all getting to the ultimate question of yes, we're building an idea that it was a conspiracy. But my question is why do they want AFK, um, RFK dead? Because at the minute, to me, from my knowledge of uh, Sirhan Sirhan, I know why he wants RFK dead.
2: Well, Sirhan, Sirhan, why did the CIA want him dead? Well, Sirhan Sirhan claimed that uh, he was upset about uh RFK's relationship with Israel, and that was during the uh, you know the whole Israeli-Palestinian war. So that makes sense. But the agency, the CIA and the CIA working with the LAPD is about to get to that, the agency may have feared Kennedy because he opposed the CIA's expansive use of power. And they fear he would press the agency for answers in the assassination of his brother that had happened five years earlier. And there's when you're ample gonna proof... We're not going to get into that. There's ample <laughs> proof... <say> it! <laughs> ...that many CIA people, high and low, particularly the ones involved in CIA assassination plots, which there are many, there have been many and illegal covert operations. Also, there have been many of those. A lot of them hated and despised both Kennedy brothers, almost to the point of insanity. In the 1950s and 60s, the CIA was deeply committed to murdering people without being detected. So, they kind of... The CIA was sketchy. I I I think they even kind of still are sketchy.
3: The CIA is sketchy, yeah. But the CIA did not kill JFK. There is literally no other evidence of anyone else... But Lee Harvey Oswald killing uh, RFK. We're not going to get into that today. The JFK. But we're not
2: going to. We're not <laughs> talking JFK, about JFK. We're confused. talking about RFK no. here. Yes. Um, so what's weird about about the whole thing with the LAPD and the CIA is they had a the CIA at that time and probably still do had secret relationships with a lot of police departments across this country. Um, they provided uh, you know gratuity money. For officers training and free equipment, often of a weird nature, exotic nature, um, police return the favor to the FBI by conducting surveillance and break-ins for the agency and providing police credentials to uh, CIA operatives. So it was almost like a quid pro quo kind of thing going on, you know, with the LAPD yeah. and other police departments throughout the country with the, you know, the, uh, the CIA um, documents obtained under the freedom of information act specifically mentioned Los Angeles as one of the cities that received quote unquote CIA training
3: city of sin.
2: And so, you know, this leads the author of this book, but also several of the, you know, the documentaries I watched to, to um, purport that the CIA was involved in and perhaps even orchestrated an LAPD cover up of the RFK assassination. Now, this is this is a new this was new to me because I had never actually heard of this guy. But there's a connection to Howard Hughes and a man named Robert Mahew. and they claim that the uh, there's a theory, and we're going to get to these this theory is there's Robert Mulhous. The theory is that RFK's assassination was a result of a conspiracy organized by that man right there, Robert Mahew, and the CIA, and the actual murder was carried out by a secret team of undercover operatives as part of a covert operation arranged by Mahu.
3: This is when I just start to like, just be like, no. It's like well, the simplest answer is usually the right one. The
2: this Mission Impossible it. TV it. program is believed to be based on that man and his oh, company. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, was a wealthy lawyer and clandestine espionage um, activity specialist who owned a private security firm. Similar to like Blackwater, if you remember Blackwater in Iraq, Um, he was extremely well-connected at the highest realms of power in the country. He was an ex-FBI agent and an ex-CIA employee with ties to some of the most secret like top levels of the CIA. After he left the agency, he continued to perform assignments for the agency, meaning he would carry out somewhat questionably legal tasks um, for the CIA to which he couldn't, so they would not be linked to it. Mahou used one of his companies to front for CIA activities and provide cover for, uh, for CIA agents. Um, one in particular, when uh, CIA leadership decided to recruit the mafia to murder Fidel Castro, they turned to Mahou to introduce them to um, Johnny Rosselli and other gangland leaders, because he had connections to organized crime. So now, from uh, between 1955 and 1970, Mahew worked for the Hughes Organization, the business empire of legendary, reclusive, multimillionaire Howard Hughes. What I love happened, his... <laughs>
3: Howie? What happened to you? Look yeah. how
2: mental he is in the, in, the, in, the right, in the picture on the right there.
3: Oh, he was always wackadoo. Uh, even in those days when he was like getting the starlets and building their careers he was wackadoo with them what's he I'm wearing for he shoes achieved... though
2: like tissue boxes kleenex tissue boxes,
3: boxes. <laughs> do you know who would have hated this coronavirus <laughs> virus panic <laughs> howard Hogan hughes you're yep. like i'm right i'm right all along
2: one of my favorite things about him too look how long his fingernails are
3: Oh, disgusting. Yeah, he mental. lived in a basic bubble where he had like pure oxygen pumped in. So he would have been high as a kite all day long.
2: Well, so in the you know, early late 50s, early 60s, the Hughes organization was loaded with CIA people and uh, practically was even run by the CIA. Uh Mulhew was the uh, right-hand man and close confidant of uh, Hughes. And during this time, Hughes was buying up like swaths of land in Las Vegas. And was financing a lot of the CIA operations. Um, Hughes, by 1968, Hughes had moved from Los Angeles to Vegas. Um, and Mahe was his front man. They bought the desert Inn, numerous other casinos. Uh, Mahe moved into a mansion called the Little Caesars Palace, where he entertained senators, celebrities. He had a yacht in Newport, Rhode Island. He flew around the world in Hughes' jets. Um, at the same time, during this time, the CIA was engaging in in, uh, programs, clandestine programs, often financed by uh, Mr. Hughes here, such as Bluebird and Project MK Ultra, which we've mentioned before. We've mentioned this before. But these were tests on unwitting people to see whether their minds could be manipulated by drugs, torture, or uh, hypnosis. And college, hospitals, prisons, uh, they all participate in this in this project with the CIA hoping to be able to manipulate foreign leaders and other figures, um, or, you know, get, you know, convince people well, use mind control, basically to get people to commit acts of espionage. Um, so in the uh, 50s and 60s, Mahu and Hughes, the CIA, Mahu and the Hughes organization were all kind of linked and what's interesting about it, the, the person who wrote the book here um, contacted the CIA to ask about it and they acknowledged that Hughes did finance some operations, but wouldn't go into any kind of detail about it.
3: Of course. But Hughes had his hands in everything. He had part, you know, He had stuff to do with the mafia too. I think when you're that super rich, you can afford to have your hands in many pies, as
2: they say. Well, so the conspiracy theory is now now that Mahi would have had access to the CIA's like MKUltra experiments um, that were being conducted at the time in California and in Nevada, the theory states that this could have enabled him to frame Sirhan Sirhan as a patsy for the slaying of Kennedy while other gunmen actually fired the fatal shots. So they say that Sirhan was almost a Manchurian candidate. He had been hypnotized you know, to distract Kennedy. He had a gun firing blanks because they never recovered any the bullets that they recovered didn't match what was in his gun. And uh he was a distraction from the actual gunman who shot Kennedy from behind. I mean, witnesses said they saw shredded paper flooding through the air as the shots are being fired from uh Sirhan, Sirhan. Indicative of casings containing explosive charge but no bullets. I will take the,
3: yeah, whatever. Again, I just don't credit witnesses with, like, jack shit, especially in situations like that where it's busy.
2: Other witnesses claim to have seen multiple gunmen. A uh, high school student, Lisa Ursu, who was in the pantry when Kennedy sh- was shot, said she saw a blonde young man in a gray business suit place a revolver and a holster under his jacket when Sirhan began shooting. And then she saw a dark-haired man in a black business suit fire a handgun into the ceiling and run away from the scene.
3: Well, that could be security guards. Do you not think the security guards, as soon as they started hearing shooting? I mean, this is America, baby. As soon as they start hearing shooting, were they not just like going guns. trigger happy and started shooting themselves? To me, that is just explained by security guards doing it. Well, but because we've lost a lot of testimony through time. We can't can't speculate about that anymore. Well, I the mean, wife, we can only speculate.
2: The wife of author George Plimpton, um, she said that they oh. saw a gunman behind Kennedy. One of those was an armed security guard named Thane Caesar, who was actually there as security for Kennedy. Um, Caesar previously worked for Mulhew in Los Angeles as part of the, his security firm. We're going to get to him in, uh, in, a, in a minute here. Okay. So, I mean, you ask why would they want Kennedy out of the picture? I mean, I think Kennedy was a threat. I okay, think, Dennis, think Kennedy was, was a threat to the establishment. How he was, a he
3: was he was a Catholic. How was he a threat?
2: Because he was a Democrat. He was he was a Democratic candidate who was unifying people, and I think he was just going to change how this country was uh, currently running. He was, was going to change the establishment. He was going to change the order of things. He was probably I'm sure he was going to look into uh, the CIA's abuse of power.
3: Yeah, he maybe was, but this seems to be like an awful lot of work leaving behind. A, to me, the CIA if they're going to be intelligent, you leave behind not a trail. This seems to be a very convoluted trail they've left behind well, of I like think, very recognizable figures. But it
2: worked out really well for them. I mean, they're able to cover up. They're able to cover up this assassination.
3: Well, it hasn't worked out well because to me, if you're going to work out it well, then you can't you would we would never know about it as normal civilians. We'd be like we wouldn't even question it, would we, but here are all the questions. So this is why I think the CIA um, don't really have an involvement because if they did, I like to think they've got their noggins screwed I, on a bit there.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think any <laughs> government agency, you know is is that like reliable and, and that thorough. I mean God, look at the fucking IRS.
1: Well, that's um,
3: nowadays. But I mean, back then, before the glory of the internet and all of this, I just think they would have done a better job.
1: And I think maybe like back then people. It- didn-
2: I think back then people didn't question. I think they, they didn't like, have reason no, to question. No, Timmy,
3: let's yeah, just, just get on with it, Timmy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think people took like, oh, well, that's what the police say. That's that's fact. I think people after. You know, after the Kennedy assassination, after the RFK assassination, after some of these other experiments like MKUltra and things where people were finding out about, it, people were like, wait a second, there there could be something going on. I mean, MKUltra was a thing that the CIA did.
3: Yeah, but I mean, it's not like the CIA was alone in that. Every governmental agency with their freaking the MI5. But that's what I'm saying. All of us have been at it. That's what yeah. I'm
2: saying. It's like, you know, they, the Bay of Pigs pissed off a lot of people in government. Like what happened in that whole situation, I think, caused a lot of bad blood with the Kennedys, both of them. And so I think, um, I think they perceived John and Robert as a threat. And Do a, you not think the Mafia the would things. have something to
3: say about it, though, considering how ingrained the Kennedys were with the Mafia? Well, maybe it was a, a Mafia thing. And maybe it was the Mafia all along, because if anybody... <laughs> Keeps quiet is the fucking mafia. I'm now, going with the mafia did it.
2: The question is, was Sirhan Sirhan, you know, a victim of MKUltra? Was he hypnotized? Was he a hypnotized, you know, a hypno-programmed Slave. assassin?
3: All glory to the hypnotoad, Sirhan Sirhan.
2: Well, that's the the, the way the uh, conspiracy theory goes here is that Hi- Sirhan was hypnotized to be a, to be present, to use a gun. As a distraction from the second gunman. So even as Sirhan Sirhan was being captured, seconds after shooting uh, Kennedy in Los Angeles, he was acting weird. A group of men had tackled him, held him down, tried to wrest the gun out of his hands. But in the middle of the hurricane of sound and feeling, wrote one of the, wrote George Plimpton, the author here, Sirhan seemed kind of peaceful. Plimpton was actually struck by Sirhan's dark brown and enormously uh, peaceful eyes. I think he looked really scared there.
3: I think he looked scared, but also I, in shock, too. In shock, you can never judge what anyone's going to do, ever. People act differently in shock.
2: So here, here he is being uh, manhandled by police. An L.A. police officer who had rushed in recalled that he had a blank glass look over his face, like he wasn't in complete control of his uh, faculties. At the same time, uh, the short, diminutive Sirhan here—he was only five, foot five about 120 pounds—exerted superhuman strength as one man held his wrist to a steam table in the Ambassador Hotel pantry, firing off five or six more shots, even as he was held around the neck, body, and legs by other men. It, took, it, it doesn't seem possible. It also took half a dozen men to even pull the twenty two out of his grip.
3: Look at all these men, though. These are all 19, uh, 1950s, 60s men who like to smoke and we like to drink. And I won't eat no vegetables. <laughs>
2: so but uh, but like... I mean, five guys in this little, I mean, this dude's like 22 years old. He's five foot he five. He's a whippet. 120 yeah. pounds. Takes that many people to hold him down?
3: Yeah, why not?
2: Maybe it's Adrenaline. Or maybe I it's a hypnotic state.
3: <laughs> He's a hypnotoad.
2: <laughs> At the police station, uh, Sirhan was uh, very calm, eerily calm. Uh, one of the officers said, "I was impressed by his composure and relaxation. He appeared less upset to me than individuals arrested for a traffic violation." That's also kind of unusual.
3: Again, I'm just gonna say, in shock. Everyone is fucking different. And he could have just been, by all accounts, he's a cool, calm individual anyways, that's his nature.
2: Well, they say his behavior combined with his claim that he's claimed, you know, for the past 53 years, that he remembers everything about that night on June 5th, 1968, except the moment of the shooting. Let a lot of people theorize that maybe he was under hypnosis when he fired at Kennedy, maybe he was an actual Manchurian candidate. Uh, His defense team looked into that angle before the trial, finding that he was easily hypnotized. He was a very suggestive person um, and could be induced to do things without knowing why, such as climb the bars of his cell. Like they were able to hypnotize him to climb up the bars of his cell. But the lawyers chose to use a diminished mental capacity defense instead.
3: Well, and just say he's a bit of a dumbard.
2: Get sympathy for the jury, so they don't think he's like this remorseless murderer. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, but I don't in, think
3: he is a remorseless murderer anyways, but... Well, think-
2: the hypnosis angle gained momentum in, the, I'd say, the past like decade or so. I mean, two decades. Um, because Sirhan was examined for more than 60 hours by a Harvard Medical School professor with vast expertise in forensic psychiatry and hypnosis. His name is Daniel P. Brown, and he concluded in 2011 that Sirhan did not act under his own volition and knowledge at the time of the assassination, and is not responsible for actions coerced and carried out by others. He feels that Sirhan was a true Manchurian candidate, hypno-programmed into carrying out a violent political act without actually even knowing it.
3: I've heard other things about this hypnosis as well, because I've read articles where they say that when he's under hypnosis, they can ask him a direct question and he will answer it, which under hypnosis, when you're like that, you're not meant to be able to do such things. You kind of like, you'll give a kind of stream of consciousness answer and he'll kind of snap out of it, do it and then go back to it, which they can kind of prove and be like, he's kind of faking this.
2: Well, I've read articles
3: about where he's been faking it. And if you've been doing it for like a long enough time, you could pull the wool over anyone's eyes.
2: I don't know. The Harvard Medical School professor p- could probably see through that ruse. I'm thinking.
3: I don't know. There's like this, this guy's definitely...
2: guy hypnotized over six thousand individuals over a forty-year professional career. He says Mr. Sirhan is one of the most hypnotizable individuals he's ever met, and the magnitude the magnitude of his amnesia for actions under hypnosis is extreme.
3: What the jury, what the uh, lawyer should have done is to try and go for like a uh, instead of trying to avoid the death penalty it's been like they could have done like a first case basis where they're like he hypnotized himself and then he shot him it would be like you know when the sleepwalker defense first came out could he use the hypnosis defense
2: well I don't know if anyone would buy that well so there's a clip there's a great documentary called RFK Must Die by uh, Irish documentarian Shane O'Sullivan and here he is with Brown discussing Sirhan
0: So, at one point in the waking state, with instructions for free recall, I simply said to him, did anybody ever give you instructions or commands to shoot on command? And then suddenly Sirhan jumps up like this and takes a, 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 a shooting posture that he was familiar to him at the gun range Range mode. and starts citing these military terms that about shooting at, shooting at human organs, vital human organs, like K-6 and K-9 and K-12. How would you and know that? The, the numbers are military codenames for what vital organ you aim at and target. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't take a civilian and teach them how to shoot at vital human organs. I mean, this is, this, is, this is unusual. And then we found out that we could trigger range mode, and every time we triggered it, we could get him to stand up and start shooting automatically. And he remembered that he was at a target range shooting at tar- circle targets.
2: Triggered range mode. So there's a chance, almost like an a, like an attack animal. You say the code word, red squirrel. Next thing you know, he's like in range mode, thinking he's at a target range.
3: Yeah, but yeah, you're not telling me that when he saw that the uh, these investigators were fucking delighted by how he was acting, that he didn't automatically then start doing it every time they were like, let's set him off again.
2: Because well, even well, the
3: even the dumbest of criminals will do that. It's he's like in a deep syndrome. hypnotic state.
2: I'm thinking this guy a Harvard medical professor would know how to induce hypnosis and know if someone was faking or not at that point
3: well i've read things where they say that they think he is faking it
2: well brown suspects that sirhan might have been part of the cia's mk ultra mind control experience in the fi- experiments of the 50s and 60s and he says that's why a mild-mannered palestinian immigrant with no criminal history suddenly showed up at a hotel and shot you know the presidential candidate Sir um, Sirhan's attorney, William Pepper, said he's convinced that someone used drugs and hypnosis to make him a compliant distraction. Um, at the time, Bobby Kennedy was in within range of a second shooter who was able to get behind him and shoot him point blank in the back of his head. Now, prosecutors noted that many psychological experts believe that a person cannot be hypnotized to do something against their will, which... I mean, that's what uh, when I was talking about Big Jer when we were in Las yeah. Vegas. Jer said he knew like what he was doing didn't make sense to him, but he said he just felt compelled, like overwhelmingly compelled to do it. So, I mean, I don't know. It's like the jury's out on that. Like, if uh, if you're amenable to being in deep hypno... Like, being able to undergo a deep hypnotic state, which obviously if this right. doctor's saying Sir Hank could do this, and you know, triggered that you're also susceptible to having amnesia triggered. Who I mean, it, it makes sense. It it gives me pause to think that they could someone could, like an organization, a professional, someone who's who knows what they're doing, combination of drugs and hypnosis make a killing machine.
3: Possibly, but I just don't buy it. I think it's just too convoluted. It's just too too much. And plus there's all these people in this room Why did nobody see the other shooter and be like, "Oh yeah, I can identify him"?
2: Well, the well shooter. Well, I'm going to get to a a possible shooter here. So Alan Shefflin, and keep in mind too, witnesses might have identified a possible shooter, but 2,400 tapes were destroyed of what they said, and their transcripts were altered, according to researchers. Alan Shefflin here, an expert on mind and behavior control, and a former law and philosophy professor at Georgetown. So that the word hypnosis, like mind control and brainwashing, kind of has a public stigma. Obviously, to Cape Rambo, it does. Um, It does. People think it's kind of like a magician's trick. But Shefflin examined the CIA's mind experiments in a book he wrote called The Mind Manipulators, and he found that the agency did have a project, and this is at that time, MKUltra, designed to create hypnotized subjects for purposes of assassination. And the CIA experiments showed that it was possible, Hypnotized people were ordered to do things that they would normally n- like never do, such as rip up a Bible. So to rip a Bible, that's like ripping a phone book. You had to be a pro wrestler to do that.
3: No, you don't. There's, you know there's an actual skill. You can do, To rip can a phone up.
2: book? Yeah. Um, or fire a gun at somebody that they otherwise never would do. So Sirhan had a fa- fascination with hypnosis before the assassination, but said he could not remember anyone hypnotizing him to perform any kind of devious acts. So in recordings with, uh, with uh, his defense lawyers and psychiatrists in 1968, he's shocked that he shot Kennedy. Like he didn't even realize that he did this, but he realizes he was captured at the scene with a gun. He doesn't remember shooting him and he's baffled by it, but he does realize he was captured at the scene with a gun. He also doesn't recall writing in his notebooks that were found in his, uh, in his apartment. But these notebooks repeatedly had the term RFK must die. Though he acknowledges that this was in his uh, handwriting. There, there's the, uh, the, the notebooks there, RFK must die. Um, he also noticed, noted that he was a Christian and that, you know, murders against his upbringing. You know, thou shalt not kill. So he didn't, you know, he didn't understand why he was even there with a gun. So here's another clip from uh, that same documentary. People should go check out. the
4: concept of the Manchurian candidate. He can't. But he can't, he can also can't explain why he can't remember.
0: That <laughs> may sound fairly fantastic, but I did interview his brother, Muneer, and his brother said he ta- he, he, it was true that he could hear Morse code in the background because Sir Ian played with his, Morse, his shortwave radio Mostly every night, including the weekend before the assassination, and that he mostly was listening to Morse code. So these notebooks were actually shaped before the assassination, and he wrote down the statements probably before he even was involved in the assassination, just so to make sure that he would be incriminated at trial. So we would call that an uh, involuntary confession.
2: An involuntary confession, Kate Rambo. That's what they call that.
3: All of this is just giving me major David Berkowitz, like you're a bit cuckoo <laughs> vibes. I mean Sat Brown listening to your Morse code, are you there, boy? How's it going, son? <laughs> like
2: The Harvard professor says that Sirhan was a victim of a larger scheme. He was a distraction, while there was another gunman who actually fired the fatal shots. And in a four-hour interviews with Sirhan between 2008-2010, Brown said Sirhan would suddenly switch into a military-like alter personality state, which was called range mode, which he said before. So back in, like, during the Cold War times, the CIA had a project called Bluebird, which they later called Artichoke, and then later became Project MKUltra. And these were the experiments on unwitting people to see if their minds could be manipulated by drugs or torture. Um, So during this time, so this was like 50s is when they started. They're still doing this throughout the 60s. 1966, Sirhan was 22 years old, living in Pasadena. He wasn't very, he wasn't political or ambitious really in any way. Um, I guess he, uh, his sister had died from leukemia. He was a bit traumatized um, by by her death. And he had actually turned to hypnosis as a way to explore life after death in an effort to uh, reach out to her. Um, He worked at the Santa Anita horse track as a stable boy, walking but not riding horses. He did one day want to become a jockey. He also, his hobby was shortwave radio, and he had a radio set up in his home, uh, in his room. So during this time, when he was a horse walker, um, he was working at the Santa Anita racetrack, which Robert Kennedy Jr. found out later was owned by Rosselli, the mobster. Who was involved with the murder of uh, castro he then began riding horses at a ranch in corona california brown found that sirhan was recruited by the operator of this private ranch also owned by roselli uh, for thoroughbreds to ride horses there even though sirhan walked horses but had very little experience riding before long he suffered a couple of major falls that required hospitalization his family reported that after those incidents Sirhan's personality changed.
3: Changed, of course. Changed a bit. Here we go. This is how you create a serial killer, folks.
2: Well, Brown believes that Sirhan was, during this period, after after he interviewed him and after he had these falls and he was in the hospital, Brown believes it was then that Sirhan was drugged and taken to a secret location for the MKUltra mind control experiments. Uh, Sirhan and his family both reported that he was gone for over two weeks after one of the falls and though brown said hospital records showed that he was released after one day
3: did they so yeah. sirhan
2: said uh told brown that he was held in the room with bars on the windows and recalled being disoriented and floating in and out of consciousness sleeping frequently
3: well that was like me the other day for 22 hours
2: <laughs> that's what i'm saying he might have kls syndrome <laughs> Um, Sir Han's spotty memory gives the impression of someone who was actually drugged, treated for superficial wounds in an emergency room, but then taken to a completely separate special experimental unit and held for like over two weeks. And so, yeah, they found out later, RF, I mean, RFK Jr. looked into this too, that the ranch operator had ties to the mafia and that the mafia had obvious links to the CIA this is all had to do with uh, with Castro. And so then in Pasadena, Sirhan met a guy that they claim they called Radio Man. No one even knows who this guy what this guy's name is.
3: Oh Lord. He
2: was a man who shared Sirhan's interest in shortwave radios. Brown believes that Radio Man used waking coercive persuasion and possibly hypnosis to control Sirhan. He wrote that uh, the statements about killing RFK in these notebooks that RFK must die. Sirhan didn't even remember writing this. These were written by Sirhan in a hypnotic state while communicating with a third party over shortwave radio, possibly Morse code. So he feels that all of those, that the scribblings in the book, the drawings, the RFK must die, the threats, were all involuntarily induced. So what's also kind of strange, over the next two years, Sirhan got a new hobby, began visiting a firing range not too far from the ranch. He now had guns, which he never had before. He wasn't like a big avid gun collector. He was a kid.
3: But I mean, like that's a hobby, isn't it? It's a very American hobby, but I don't see any difference between why he, oh, it's suddenly strange. He started going to the gun range. It's like, the guy. Is
2: it? The guy starts riding horses at a, at a, at a ranch owned by this mobster. He has a few falls, all of a sudden his personality has changed. His family says his personality has changed. He's spending hours every day at the firing range. Um, Brown claims that uh, he had guidance from Radio Man on how to shoot targets, but he spent hours at the range on the day on June 5th, on the day of the killing.
3: Just tell me the difference between, what's the difference between Radio Man and Sam the dog telling Berkowitz to kill? There's no fucking difference. It's the same thing. Well. He has had a bump to the noggin, man, and he has gone crazy.
2: On the night of the assassination, Sir Hans uh, has described going to the ambassador to attend a different political victory party, drinking too much and returning to his car. Not feeling well enough to drive, he then returned to the hotel looking for coffee, and an attractive woman in a polka dot dress
3: Here she led is. him to
2: a coffee urn near the pantry. Of the, we'll get to her picture in a second. Led to uh, led him to a coffee urn near the pantry of the hotel and then into the pantry. So here's Sirhan's attorney, Lori Dussek, talking about this woman. So I guess you could show her a picture. The polka dot lady.
4: So his personality had changed. Before the shooting, he went to the Fish Canyon uh, firing range. And what was unusual that day is Sirhan would usually go to the range, shoot for a little while, and then leave. That particular day, he was there to, for for a few hours, and the range master said the range was closing down, so Sirhan had to leave. He met a friend of Bob's Big Boy, and actually, he regrets because the friend said, hey, let's go shoot some pool, and Sirhan, to this day, says if only he had gone with his friend, none of this would have happened. And so he went into L.A., avoided. and he went to the Ambassador Hotel because there was another party there, and he had gone to school with uh, a daughter of that candidate. So he thought maybe he'd run into some people there. Uh, Sirhan was not a big social butterfly, very withdrawn, very much to himself. And when he was in the Ambassador Hotel, he stopped at the Rafferty party and then noticed that there was a larger party going on, which was the RFK victory party, and so he went there. The interesting thing is he's not a drinker. I think he had alcohol twice before in his life, and he said each time it made him ill. Supposedly he had four Tom Collins, What's in a
2: Tom Collins?
3: I don't know. I was waiting for you to tell me. I thought it was
2: wondering, know. I know. Like when I heard this, I was like, Oh, four Tom Collins. Is What's that a it? lot What's... of alcohol? Is that like a like a Harvey Wallbanger or something?
3: Is it like a Shirley Temple I know Shirley Temple's for the kids, but is it a Shirley Temple but with vodka in?
2: I don't know. I have no idea what it's. Time- I thought it was like a lemonade. Like I a wish lemonade I knew. vodka. I'm gonna look I was that the
4: up. Type. Yeah and as he was drinking um, obviously the, the drinks affected him because the alcohol went to his head he he thought he he could go back home so he went out to his car and he was going to drive home but when he got to his car he realized that he was too drunk so he walked back into the ambassador and he thought he'd have some coffee and try to sober up and when he went back in he ran into this woman who was looking for coffee right there the woman I started the searching for
0: address. coffee there sir her and that was all what i wanted to do and I found some. In the kitchen area? But where, I don't remember, sir. In a kitchen type room? I don't remember where I saw it, but I I remember getting the cup. It was a shining... Large urn? Urn. And uh, there was a girl there. No, 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 I don't remember much what uh, what happened after that. You don't remember? I don't remember. Do you remember anything? Other than the choking and... uh, and the
2: commotion i don't remember that he so that's about it that's all, that's he doesn't remember anything that happened during the incident he remembered before but he doesn't remember after that he remembers gazing at the attractive woman who was noticed by other people there are other witnesses who also saw this lady in the polka dot dress and he remembers being pummeled by the men who captured him afterwards with the gun in his hands
3: They always like to include a mysterious woman in these scenarios, don't they? Because you've got the babushka lady for um, JFK, who they've all been trying to... She has something to do with it. It's like the polka dot dress lady who has to be there.
2: Well, he says his presence at the hotel was an accident. I mean, not a planned destination. Um, And under hypnosis, he remembers meeting this girl. She led him to the pantry. He was looking at her thinking he's going to score. He's checking her out. He's like, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to hit on her. I was, you know, she was a seductress with an unspoken unavailability. But in the pantry, as he was trying to think about what, you know, what he's going to do, she pinched him or touched him on the shoulder. And that's when he uh, fired, turned around and uh, started shooting his gun.
3: He went into hypnotode mode.
2: Range mode. He says I was on the target range, a flashback to the shooting range. I didn't even know that I even had a gun on me. That's what yeah, he Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he snapped out of it and thought, I'm not at the range. What's going on? And that's when he was being grabbed. Later when I saw the female judge, I knew that Bobby Kennedy was shot and I was a shooter, but it doesn't come into my memory at all. It doesn't remember any... It doesn't remember pulling the trigger of the gun. Is it yeah, automatic right. post-hypnotic behavior and coercive control? Is that what, is that what happened? Was it... The pinch, the touch of the polka lady that set him off.
3: I'm, yeah, I'm blaming the woman. You've always got to blame the woman in these types of scenarios. It's the woman's fault.
2: Under what Brown called the condition of uh, hypnotic free recall. He said Sirhan remembered seeing the flash of a second gun at the time of the assassination, but without hypnosis, couldn't remember that shot.
3: Yeah, right. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> <It's so laughs> At this point, aggravated. you're just being
2: like, fuck this. Just, um, it's all
3: just so, as Avril Lavigne says, it's just all so fucking complicated. <laughs> like, it's just so simple.
1: What
2: so happened. the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy authors, Tim Tate and Brad Johnson, say they believe they identified the woman in the polka dot dress as Elaine Neal and that her husband claimed to have worked for the CIA during the, the MKUltra days. Neil died in 2012, the husband years earlier. But the author, uh, Shane O'Sullivan, uh, who did the documentary, RFK Must Die, reported the same details uh, in his documentary. And he noted, he said that Neil did not actually marry the CIA man until 1973. But Johnson claims that he learned additional details about Neil after uh, after uh, the deadline for his book. He said that Neil and her husband actually met in 1967, and by 68, They were having an affair neil's own first marriage ended in 68 so there's another kennedy young kennedy campaign worker sandy serrano she claimed a young hispanic man and a caucasian woman wearing a polka dot dress quickly burst out of the rear service exit of the ambassador hotel claiming we shot him when asked who the young woman responded senator kennedy
3: I've heard about this, yeah.
2: Suspicious, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Sergeant Shiraga was made aware of the suspicious duo by a middle-aged married couple who had frantically flagged him down shortly after he had pulled his squad car and, into the parking lot. And <laughs> Shiraga immediately issued an all-points bulletin for this young couple—the Hispanic guy and the polka dot dress lady—but it was canceled without any explanation. Serrano was then coerced by police into changing her story.
3: I think it's very easy to misinterpret as someone is running past you in a crisis scenario when there's been gunshots and everything's going crazy around you to misinterpret someone saying, I, for they, or them. Like, if there's any less credibility than an eyewitness, it's somebody who says, I heard something. Well, she
2: was, she was sitting right there and she saw, and multiple, there were multiple witnesses that also saw this woman running out saying, we got him, we shot him.
3: Yeah, but you can misinterpret, that's what I'm saying. Well, I, give I can no say credibility maybe if it's one or them. two
2: people, but if it's like 10 people saying that they saw a woman in polka dot dress saying we shot him.
3: Oh, he shot him. It's so easy to misinterpret things. Like, so easy.
2: Well, California Attorney uh, General said that Brown's conclusions are clearly speculative, This is the Harvard medical professor. And uh, they all depend on the veracity of Sirhan's story. Brown completely ignored the vast amount of evidence presented at the trial, which contradicted what Sirhan was saying and contradicting Sirhan's self-serving recall of the events. And they proved that he intentionally killed Senator Kennedy. And so this is in 2013. um, U.S. Magistrate Judge Andrew J. Wistrich noted that Sirhan's theory that he was subject to mind control may be intriguing but the expert's views fall short of demonstrating that he was actually subjected to mind control. So the final thing here that I'm going to mention is uh, a guy named Thane Eugene Caesar. And that's what I mentioned before was a security se- guard. Yeah. Um, okay. So when he entered the pantry, uh, when, when uh Sirhan entered the pantry and the gunfire began, RFK's right arm was being held supposedly to guide him through the pantry by an armed uniformed security guard named Caesar. Um, I, th- I think we might have a pick of Caesar. I think it's like pick 17. Uh, he was to the right of and close behind the senator. Behind the senator is the key point. There he is, top right. Um, that's, uh, that's, he's the security at this event. Uh, the 26-year-old Caesar worked for Ace Guard Service, which was a private security firm hired by the hotel. At the time of the assassination, Caesar had previously worked for Ace Guard Service for just one day. During the previous week under the government narrative, Caesar was the only person except the assassin in the pantry with a gun.
3: That we know, know about
2: as RFK collapsed, about. he somehow grabbed and pulled off Caesar's clip on tie, which ended up on the floor in the uncropped, the uh, iconic and the next photo the black and white news photo, um, that shows RFK flat on his back, um, on the pantry floor being comforted by the bus boy, uh, Juan Romero. But you can see can we Caesar's. we go
3: back to talk about the fact he has a clip on tie. Like, come on, Bobby, how old are you? He must be in his 40s at this point. Put a tie well, on the, It
2: what? wasn't Bobby's tie, it was Caesar's tie.
3: Oh, right. So pulled confused. off, go, go
2: to the next That's picture. This, the next picture is the icon. This is the, yeah, iconic, this is the iconic photo iconic picture. of uh, Bobby Kennedy sprawled out on the floor, just got shot, and he had pulled off Caesar, the security guard's clip on tie. And that's what's laying over there by his right hand. Um, So, I mean, it's interesting. You know, according to his own statement and those of several witnesses, Caesar drew his handgun when the shooting began, but he told police that he never fired it. Although at least one witness said Caesar fired it once. Uh, Police never examined Caesar's pistol. And later Caesar admitted to police that he owned or previously owned a 22, but claimed he was carrying a different weapon, a 38 the night RFK was shot. RFK was shot with a 22. Right. Um, and interviewed by police multiple times, Caesar's account of events in the pantry kept changing. Oh. So now Caesar took it upon himself to give RFK a safe escort through the pantry. He was the only one that did it. He was the only security guard there, the only person that should have had a gun. He failed, you know? um the uh, author of a little uh, little a, a lie too big to fail she wrote that the kindest thing we can say about caesar is that he failed in his job
1: he <laughs> massively was in the,
2: well he was in the perfect position to have been the gunman who killed kennedy or to have held kennedy shielding other shooters from the view as they fired upon him in you know close range kind of difficult not to imagine that he was involved in some way Now, going into, like, looking into his history, though, and his background, in the 60s and 70s, Caesar worked at Lockheed Aviation Plant in California. A casual acquaintance who worked there told researchers that the plant was a CIA-controlled U-2 spy plane facility, Lockheed uh, Aviation Plant, California, and that Caesar often worked in an on-limits, like an on-limits area that only special personnel had access to. On top of all this, Caesar was a right-wing extremist who hated the Kennedys and supported uh, racist Alabama, Alabama Governor George Wallace.
3: Right. I would also, I would not take the um, "I work in a warehouse" type situation. And let me tell you that I used to work with somebody who believed that lizard people were real. Don't take former workmates. <laughs> but I'm just saying, <laughs> it's just, there's a,
2: there are a lot of coincidences here. Sometime in the mid-70s, Caesar told the LAPD they also worked at Hughes Aircraft, a subsidiary of Hughes' organization. Caesar was once spotted in Vegas in the company of a Florida hitman, a mafia hitman. The person who saw him remarked, he's owned by Howard Hughes, and his name is Thane Caesar, and he's as tough as they come.
3: Well, maybe he is. And so He's it's not a very good security guard, I'm just is saying
2: he? there's a lot of strange coincidences here. Finally, uh, John Meyer, who is a top aide to Hughes from 66 to 70, also knew Caesar because Caesar worked for the Hughes organization. And shortly after the RFK assassination, he was listening to a broadcast about what happened and he heard Caesar's name mentioned as one of the security guards at the hotel. He thought that was kind of strange. He's like, how did this guy who used to work for Hughes? is now the security guard for RFK at this hotel. Um, in his personal diary, uh, entered entered uh, June 13, 1968, Meyer wrote, I remember Thane from his trips to Vegas, Las Vegas, where he was meeting with numerous gaming people and was introduced to me by Jack Hooper, who is an associate of uh, Bob Mahew. Um, and in an interview with uh, the author who wrote uh, Lisa Pease, John Meyer told her that after hearing the radio broadcast, he called someone to discuss the fact that I know Thane Caesar, who had been the ambassador that night. The next day, he was summoned by Mahew and chewed out. Mahew was furious and wanted to know why he was checking up on Thane. And Meyer was stunned by Mahue's anger. And he said to me that if I kept discussing this matter, he would see that I was no longer around the Hughes operation. That's what I'm saying, it's kind of strange. I mean, but Thane Caesar worked like... for Robert Mahue, who was involved with Hughes, who was involved with the CIA. He was a security guard.
3: Gossip upon gossip upon gossip, all of that. That's just all like speculation. None of that is like what hard given facts. That's just somebody bitching about somebody else who's bitching about someone else through time as well. That's like 40 years later bitching. If you've got a
2: last thing I'm going to point out
3: last thing I'm going to point out,
2: look at this picture right here. Okay. Um, Shane O'Sullivan Alleged that several CIA operatives were present at the night of the assassination at the ambassador. Three of those accused of these officers um, were former senior officers who worked together at uh, in 1963 at JM Wave, which was the CIA's main anti-Castro um, uh, like secret operation state like uh, base in uh, Miami. JM Wave uh, chief of operations David Morales, chief of maritime operations Gordon Campbell, pictured here and Chief of Psychological Warfare Operations, George Joannidis, were identified in photographs taken at the ambassador. George Joannidis, this guy headed up MKUltra. He's at the well, ambassador the night of the, uh, of the assassination.
3: Well, isn't it funny how they destroyed Two and a half thousand pictures, but yet they've left in MIK Ultra executives. Oh, those pictures are still around. Well, this Mm. is what
2: Shane Sullivan found this. This was from his documentary. Also, according to Sullivan, Morales, who is the uh, chief operating officer of JM Wave, uh, was known for his deep anger with the Kennedys for what he saw as their betrayal during the Bay of Pigs. He said... I was in Dallas when we got the son of a bitch and I was in Los Angeles when we got the little bastard. That's a quote.
3: Yeah. Well, I don't know. He was there for it. But so again.
2: My question was, was the RFK assassination a second Dallas?
3: No, you didn't say that back to you.
2: I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of weird, there's a lot things that seem like it's, it's too connected to be a coincidence. It's more than a coincidence. Not in JFK. There isn't. No, I'm I'm saying with RFK. JFK. I didn't really. You know, I have read about it. I feel like that. There. I mean, I feel like there's speculation. It definitely seems strange. But there's so many weird ties and connections here with RFK's assassination that would make me think like, I don't know if there's a a single gunman. I don't know if one person can shoulder all the blame who acted alone to kill this man.
3: To me, yeah, there is only one gunman who's done this. It's all just so, com- again, Avril Levine, it's just too conv- complicated. It's too convoluted. I put more stock in the FBI. I put more stock in the CIA. They would not leave. I don't such trust an obvious either one of those organizations. Like I trust them to like be a bit more smarter and to think a bit
2: harder. I, that's another thing I don't. I mean, MK Ultra. you'd think they would never let anyone find out about what they did with that. Well, but yet it's
3: every, come out. Every, every country has done something to that extent of MKUltra. We were giving um, soldiers LSD in the 1940s, and that came out. It always comes out in the wash. But to me, there's no real reason to kill RFK. He wasn't even president yet. And what? They could do he it cleaner, He was going to be
2: president. They? And they well, did it clean. They, do, they did it very cleanly. No, this no, guy, no,
3: no. This is not clean in well, front there's, of a room full a of bunch witnesses. Of,
2: yeah, but but they never were found out. And they blamed it on this like insane Palestinian immigrant. Well,
3: why don't they just, you know, cut cut the brakes in his car? That's easier, that's cleaner. And then Because he's no probably one can not even
2: driving. That. And there's a good chance he wouldn't even die. I think they were like going for an assassination attempt. They were putting it on a patsy. And it was and 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 it's believable, it's credible. The guy's been in prison for fifty three years. It's interesting that Robert F. Kennedy's own son is the person who did a lot of this research that thinks he should be released.
3: Yeah, but all the other kids are like, nope, he did it. Well, that's <laughs> Just the thing. Two of the two of the kids believe that he should be freed. Six like...
2: of RFK's nine surviving children said they were shocked by the uh, parole board, and they're urging California Governor Gavin Newsom to keep Sirhan behind bars.
3: Gavin will. He doesn't like releasing high-profile killers, and I don't think he's going to start with this.
2: Rory Kennedy and five other Kennedy siblings are speaking out against their parole recommendation. Uh, They share the following statement. As children of Robert F. Kennedy, we are devastated that the man who murdered our father has been recommended for parole. Our father's death is a very difficult matter for us to discuss publicly, and for the past many decades... We have declined to engage directly in the parole process, but given today's unexpected recommendation by the parole board after 15 years' decision, previous decision to deny release, we feel compelled to make our position clear. We adamantly oppose the parole and release of Sirhan Sirhan and are shocked by a ruling that we believe ignores the standards for parole of a confessed first-degree murderer in the state of California. That's going to be an awkward Christmas.
3: Oh, yeah. And you know what the, the Kennedys like to sit around the dinner table and debate each of it. I can imagine this has been a debate ever since he died about who really killed him.
2: Well, I, I think they I think they believed it up until recently when there's been these documentaries and then Robert F. Kennedy Jr. started doing his own research.
3: Well, they didn't know. It doesn't sound like the rest of the kids believe that. because well, no, They this... said the man who murdered my father. There is only one person who murdered RFK. It's not the cia it's fucking sharon well,
2: three of the Chiran, uh, Chiran. three Chiran. of the other children <laughs> believe otherwise uh, so now uh, california's parole board might have voted to free the assassin his release is not assured the ruling will be reviewed over the next 120 days and then it'll be sent to the governor who will have 30 days to decide whether to grant reverse or modify it now with the potential recall perhaps it might be governor angeline who's going to make that call
3: Oh, my God. Imagine if Angeline releases the guy, the guy who killed RFK. <laughs> Good. And then she can release Bobby Boussoulay and we can live in a perfect world when no one does anything wrong ever.
2: It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. I got to say I was pretty enthralled this past week. Um, if you want to check out some of my sources, people, there's some great uh, documentaries you can find online. Um, I would go check out uh documentary, RFK Might, Must Die. Um, it's very thorough. He also did another one called The Manchurian Candidate. Uh, documentary filmmaker Shane O'Sullivan wrote that one. Um, also, there's another one called The Second Dallas Senator Robert F. Kennedy Assassination. It's by Massimo Mazzucco. It's pretty good, though. I, I looked at that one, too. Um, then there's the, the film Bobby, which is directed by Emilio Estevez. It has a, like a, a whole like, star-studded cast. Anthony Hopkins, Lindsay Lohan... Demi Moore, Martin Sheen, Christian Slater, Sharon Stone. And then there's a uh, 2002 American uh, television film called RFK. And then a number of books. Um, I I recommend uh, the Farrell House one, though. Lisa Pease's A Lie Too Big to Fail. that came out. But yeah, very interesting uh, story. And uh, I'd be willing to wager that Sirhan Sirhan's not going to get out of jail anytime soon.
3: He's not going Prison. out of jail. Yeah. No, he's he's there till he dies.
2: But is he the alone assassin?
3: Yes. I'm all riled up, Dee. I'm all <laughs> riled up. Only him. He's <laughs> done nothing to prove to me that it was anyone but him.
2: People, this is episode 806 here at and Round. We'll get some phone calls coming up next. Uh and Round hotline. You can call it. You can call it right now. 323-522-4032. Leave a message under three minutes. And we'll play it on the show. If it's over three minutes, it's going to end up on the Patreon page. Uh, Before we get to that, though, here's a word, um, a plug about our Patreon page. We do love the patrons, and we appreciate your support in the show.
5: Hello, Sick and Wrong patrons. In case you haven't noticed, and judging by the numbers you haven't, Sick and Wrong has their very own Patreon page, where you can find
0: outtakes, extra stories, extra phone calls, and a whole lot more. These guys are putting out at least another hour to a week of additional content. To put it in
5: perspective, here are some things that are more expensive than a $5 a month membership on Patreon. A pack of smokes. A value meal at any drive-thru. One $6 whore. Three $2 whores. A $10 crack rock. A six-pack of beer. A beer at pretty much any club. One movie ticket. Two joints. And two gallons of petrol. Hell, when you break it up, it costs less than seventeen cents a day, and that's cheaper than feeding a starving African child. So sign up and help these Jews continue to craft the fine podcast we all enjoy so much today.
2: So we got a few phone calls to get to three two three five two two four zero three two is the number of the sick and wrong drunk dial line. You can also email us, Um Or, you know, some people even send stuff through uh and like messages through Facebook.
3: Yeah, you can message me.
2: So many different ways on. to do it. Um, this guy, I don't even know why he still calls the uh, the hotline. He has, he has so much like just visceral hatred for me. I don't really get it. That might feel be better than you. And I'm still doing better than you. I think Boner villain secretly loves me.
3: I I would love to start conversations where I'm like, oh, hey, buddy, I've not seen you in ages, but I'm still doing better than you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it.
2: (laughs) I think, no, I think Boner villain is like, has a secret crush. Do you think he has a shrine to D. Simon's house?
3: To the Jew Jew shrine. Yeah, probably. He's still doing better than you, though. That's all that matters.
2: He's doing way better. I picture him to be kind of like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Happiness. He like prints out <laughs> pictures of me and then like comes on them and just like shoots it him and like shoots slaps them on the wall. wall.
3: Yeah, and when they stop <laughs> falling down when the cum crusts, that's when he just does it again with a different picture.
1: Man, you're probably drunk down with your cat. You probably <laughs> takes so much cream that it's
2: too expensive for you to, you know, be able to do whatever you need to the hell is he talking about he's like i probably broke because of my cat's cream
3: yeah because you you can't afford the cream that your cat needs because so, it's obviously a specialist cat but to be fair it's <laughs> kind of on to something
2: and my cat is a special cat you he is a special that. cat he is very special so
5: i'm a dog you have a bald cat but that mantilla is still better than you are and Wackerly.
2: Yeah, I kind of know who he is, and uh, we did meet each other. So each wait, wait, wait. what did you say? Do you get that? He,
3: he has a dog. Uh, so dogs are better than cats, which I uh, yeah, in some circumstances I agree with. Um, but he's he's met Wackily apparently. No. him and Wackily have no, been having a... clandestine meetups.
2: I think they're like uh, unified in their hatred of me. He's he Whack-
3: know he, he's met him.
2: We, yeah i kind of know who he is and uh we did meet each other think- so eat shit and die you, you still suck and your cat still
5: sucks. eat shit that <laughs> what villain the- is better
2: than you <laughs> wait okay okay i can understand <laughs> I why you it. would say tell me to eat shit and die but mike what did my cat do to you boner villain
3: it just exists. I mean, the cat is pretty Oh, the pretty fact annoying. that there's
2: like a bald cat that exists. What kind of animal do you think Boner Villain has?
3: Well, he says a, a dog. I can imagine whatever dog his mom has is a very. It's like a, what a Shih Tzu or something like that. It's one of those little yappy. Nam nam Yeah, but I bet moms. you
2: Boner Villain's personal animal that he takes care of and loves dearly. Oh, his mother. A you gerbil. About his mother. No, oh, his gerbil. Oh,
3: but we all know what happens <laughs> with gerbils.
2: Guarantee, he has a gerbil. One named D, one named Harrison, one named <laughs> Oh, and one Wackily. named Wackily.
3: Not one named after me, though. He yeah, would never address new me personally.
2: I wonder, yeah, Boner Villain. What do you think of Kate?
3: He can't address me personally because he can't talk to women. But I love his energy and how Boner Villain's
2: a hundred percent an incel. I don't. I bet you Boner Villain's never. He may have paid for sex, but I don't think he's ever had like non like you know transactional sex before.
3: Have you? Yeah,
2: once or twice. Just it was time. coerced, but uh, <laughs> had a, a Bill Cosby cocktail. Um, no, of course I've had sex, but no, I'm just saying. I bet you boner villain... I'm sure Boner Villain probably has had relationships with sh- with probably like, you know, strippers at the Deja Vu. I was going to say,
3: what he likes is he's got his favorite strippers that he goes for couch dances with in the VIP yeah, section. I'm thinking
2: Deja that's,
3: Vu. That's uh, probably it.
2: not the VIP section.
3: He's a rich man. He's got a Jeep. He's got a big house. He always talks about how rich he is. Of course he goes to the VIP section. Do you really section. think his mom
2: gives him enough money to go to the VIP section? I doubt it. <laughs>
3: Son, here's your couch money for the week.
2: (laughs) She's like, Boner, you better not go and spend all your money over at the strip club at the Deja Vu.
3: But mom, they want more money for the couch dances.
2: First name Boner, last name Villain. (laughs) Thank you, Boner Villain. Smooches. I admire your energy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next call here is a celebrity, a very famous celebrity who has never called the show before.
6: Oh, wow. Hey D, hey Kate, Tom Jones here, calling you directly from the green, green hills Tom of South Wales. Fucking Jones. Congratulations again to 800 odd shows. You, Kate, you're fucking smashing it. Much better than that fucking, you know, fucking feather tickling yellow glasses wearing Kent. Much better than him. You almost rival Wackley, but in all fairness, you ain't no Wackley. But you're still pretty Not. cool. So, yeah, I, I just thought to fucking ring you up. And tell you a little bit about what I used to do before I started, you know, walking around in leather pants and, you know, crooning fucking elderly women. <laughs> are you are you a big fan of Tom
2: Jones? Like, well, what's, how like, is Tom Jones regarded in the UK?
3: Yeah, he's like a beloved figure in the UK. He's definitely, there's no nonce rumours around Tom Jones like there are, say, Cliff Richards. You know that Tom Jones Would was like Cliff a Richards is a
2: nonce too? I thought it was like yes! Savile and Gary Glitter.
3: Cliff Richards got, has got, like, involved. He's a nonce. There's no way to me that he is not a nonce. It's going to come out when he I have no idea that dies. Cliff
2: Richards a nonce, too.
3: Did you not? Oh, well, it's definitely a British ring, but uh, I love Tom Jones. Who do Jones. you prefer,
2: Tom Jones or Cliff?
3: Tom, obviously Tommy Jones. I love the Welsh accent. It's definitely my favorite out of all the UK accents. I love all the right. Welsh.
2: Who do you think is Shagmore women, Cliff or Tom Jones?
3: Are they underage?
2: No, I'm just saying women and just just in general.
3: Cliff Richards has not had sex with anyone who is not underage. Let's put it like that. Who is not underage
2: or is not over?
3: Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. Um,
2: (laughs) So you're saying Cliff Richards hasn't had sex with anyone over 16, whereas Tom Jones has had many women.
3: Cliff Richards, if there's grass on the wicket, game over for that man. But Tom Jones... He, he loves a shag.
2: I always thought like Tom Jones was like the UK version of Neil Diamond.
3: Have you heard the maybe Van Doren story about Tom Jones? I love this story.
2: No, I don't know if I have.
3: So she was really, he's obviously got a big bulge in his leather pants. She was really excited to uh, shag him. And they went to the bedroom getting hot, hot and heavy. And he was like, I just have to go to the bathroom quickly. And she was like, oh yeah, can't wait for this. And then he came out of the bathroom. The bulge was gone. There was no bulge. It's a it's a pair of socks, and maybe just had to, she just had to make do with what she found.
2: Whoa! So he's like hung it's like a, a he's got a baby dick.
3: It's just no, it's just a regular. Oh, it's dick. a
2: regular dick, but she was thinking because it's a socks because
3: of that because of that bulge, man. He has I've got a bulge. I've Gene Simmons does that. I imagine Gene Simmons does.
2: would a never think that anyway. from.
3: Tom Jones, who does have the infamous bull he's a ladies man. Yeah, and you know there was all that rumors about Tom Jones being with Priscilla Presley.
2: Yeah, I remember that. You know uh the first time I went to Europe as like on my own was in uh what nineteen ninety nine with uh my friend Kessler in P Town and uh the song Sex Bomb, maybe it was two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah, I the remember. The song when that Sex came Bomb, out. remember that? Every yeah. fucking club we went to in uh, Amsterdam, and Spain, and France, everywhere, that we Germany, everywhere we went, I it was apologize. inevitable that that fucking song was going to come on. And we had never heard it before because it wasn't a, a big hit in the U.S. And we're just like, if I hear Sex Bomb one more fucking time, I'm going to fucking shoot myself. And then there's this, like, sex bomb, sex bomb. (laughs) It's just the fucking worst song I've ever heard. There was
3: that funny little resurgence with him where he had a couple of songs come out in, like, the 2000s, and then he just was guesting on people's songs. It just seemed to be, like, a weird Tom Jones is back. But now he's old. Have have you ever seen him live? No, but I lived next door to, like, a, a... a park where like people come and play and he played once so i just sat in my house and opened the windows so i've heard tom jones
2: <laughs> but you never actually went and remembered. was I'm it a free paying. show
3: no you had to pay oh, so had to i'm pay. not right, paying right. to see him but you know i heard him for free
2: well let's see what tom jones
6: did before he
2: became an internationally renowned rocker
6: until you know, having commercial success in the 70s fuck me i'm fucking drunk shit cunt oh uh, yeah cunt. so Years ago, uh, I started working in a fucking secure unit. And fucking, oh, some of the shit i seen was fucking nuts, man. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was my first night shift. This guy just got moved in, really fucked up in the head. And fucking, I'd only been in this job, like, two days prior to this, you know. I, I, I the Fucking, I was working in the bakery, like so I was sat beside this guy's room and all I heard was kill John kill John so I thought what the fuck
2: is this and on this alright I'm having a difficult time with the accent here so he was a security guard and he was working the first, first night he was working and some guy was like kill John
3: kill John yeah
2: Okay, all right. but you know I can understand this a little bit more clearly than I can the Scottish Glaswegian accent Oh, really? Yeah. A little bit better with the
6: Welsh one. Bedroom door. It was like a fucking... T- uh, it was like one of them one-way mirror kind of things, like you we are having a police cell. So I opened the window. His face is pressed up against the glass. He'd cut his head all open. And he's here fucking wanking. He'd fucking cummed everywhere, fucking blood everywhere. The nurse comes down in and says, Tom, <laughs> go in here and sort him out, man. I was like, Mate, fucking, you no, know, it was this time last week I was making cakes, so I knew I wanted to go in here and clean our shit up. So, anyway, as I ended up going in there, sorted the guy out, chilled him out, all oh, was fucking cool.
2: How? <laughs> the, the guy's got a bloody head, he's covered in semen?
3: Yeah, he's How do you chill that he's...
2: guy out?
3: You would tell him to stop wanking to start.
2: I don't just, even know. Just
3: put, the, put your cock away, mate. <laughs> Let's just calm down. Thorazine or
2: something. <laughs> a street jacket
6: And then he said, oh, you know, do me a favour, take my dirty laundry. It was up to the washroom. So, so I grabbed the dirty laundry, chucked it in the washroom. And as I was walking up to the washroom, I was like, what the fuck is this? As I felt something sticky in my hand, and all wrapped up in the towel, it was this guy's fucking cam, like, I was like, oh, fuck. It was this guy, it turns out this guy had been like wanking into the towel, fucking waiting for me to go in there. A fucking, you know, It was pick up like a day's worth of fucking cum, Dirty fucking cunt. Anyway, <laughs> I'm drunk as fuck. It was ring again some other time. Hopefully more coherent than this. But
2: yeah. Ah. I didn't even get what he said at the end there. I but think that... at
3: the end he, he spoke real Welsh, which I can't do at all. That was amazing <laughs> if it was. How
2: oh, is right that like? You uh... hear
3: real real Welsh.
2: Yeah, no, that was that that was good. I I I didn't get that one at all. But uh, thank you there, Tom Jones. Wow, yeah. So he had like
3: he had a poison a t-shirt mental... that he had been wanking on.
2: <laughs> he had a mental person's jit gel rag in his hand that was full of cum.
3: I just listened to an FTV episode where they were talking about Martin's Coke towel. Do you remember this? He had it in his car. It sounds
2: vaguely uh, familiar.
3: So it started out as a red. Coca-Cola co- <laughs> color, but by the end of his teen years, it was like a burnt out bleached orange from all the fucking gum that he spread on his Coke rag towel. Well, did he
2: only like whack it in his car?
3: It, he he whacked on it everywhere, but he had it in his car for a while. They were talking about how it was in his car, because yeah, he liked to whack off in his car.
2: God, how stiff do you think that towel was?
3: He actually rescued it and uh from his mother's house does he house. still have it i imagine he still has it why wouldn't he Wow. Oh, but that's God. the uh the, the bleaching power of cum over the years it'll turn red <laughs> to a burnt out orange
2: i swear got it like an experience like that first time on the job i would quit
3: It's uh, c- cum is fine i've dealt with many a, a strange scenario of cum but if it was like <laughs> anything like shit or vomit someone else's shit or vomit that that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm going back I remember to make it too.
2: When I worked at the Gold Club, uh, there's this uh, guy, he was a bartender that I was good friends with. Um, they would come up and always he'd always give me a Jack and Coke. Like right when i he'd be like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? And bring me the Jack and Coke. But his name was, uh, I don't want to say his real name, but we called him Wretch. But uh, Retch, he was like in the metal community. He's a cool guy. But Retch, uh, he was telling me one time that he was a bartender at that point, but he started out as a bar back. And he said his first night of working at the uh, gold club, at the strip club, he said "Uh, one of the strippers, there was like a bathroom that was downstairs. It was like a single stall, like a handicap bathroom. And he said he, uh, at one point one of the strippers was like, oh my God, you have to see this. And when the managers like went over there, and apparently some guy like, down don't know, got in a fight with one of the girls and got kicked out. And before he got kicked out, he went in the bathroom and shit like all over the floor. And then took the shit and wrote on the mirror, fuck these whores in shit <laughs> on the mirror. Yeah, and then uh, the manager was just like, you gotta clean this to Wretch, who was his first day as a bar back. I would have walked out.
3: I would have walked out, I would have been like, you fucking clean
2: it. I would have been like, fuck you, I'm not doing that Get a cleaning crew and close the bathroom Yeah,
3: there's fucking like Hepatitis Central in there, mate, I'm not doing it
2: He went in there and we cleaned say, it He cleaned it off Wretch
3: is a northern slang for like, you know, when you if you cough up a ton of spit you yeah, know, when it goes retch. to like Lugery, it's wretch Yeah, you go, oh, He's wretching He's wretching yeah. everywhere, yeah
2: Um. But a wretch is also like just a you know, disgusting person
3: was he a disgusting person?
2: No, no. He was actually a really cool guy, and he was a, a, a long-time metalhead. So he knew yes. me from like way back when I used to do my old radio show, but then when I was DJing there, he was just like, holy shit, it's Duri Sanchez.
3: So it's like an Italian nickname where you're going to give them the opposite of somebody. So because you're Jewish, your nickname <sighs> could be Je- <laughs> Gentile I I don't
2: know, actually, if it was a self-appointed nickname or if it was a nickname someone else gave him. I'm not sure.
3: In school, or something, because it's just like stuck
2: that. with him. Anyway, Tom Jones, good to hear from you. I would Always. like to hear more um, uh, 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 tales of you um, of cavorting with uh, books and women. That's what I want to sh- hear.
3: Shout out to Wales, to everyone <laughs> listening there. I love
2: it. Um, this is an international show, if you think about it, because uh, this next caller, this guy's a, uh, a fan, longtime fan, longtime listener. I uh, hung out with this guy when I was in Tokyo. And a really cool dude, actually. had a really good time hanging out with him. When I get back to Tokyo, I'm going to hang out with you again. Here's Quenji uh, Sean.
5: Hey, D. What's up? This is Quenji Sean calling from Tokyo. Um, Kate Rambo, nice to make your acquaintance. It's probably been six years since I've called in or something like that. It's been a while. <laughs> I started listening around episode 17 or something Jesus. like that. D, well, as you know, uh, Johnny introduced me to the show i at the time i was making some dirty zines and dumping them at bars and clubs around tokyo and johnny comes up to me and he's like hey dude i heard this awesome podcast called sick and wrong let's make a podcast like it combine your zine with the podcast we'll make our own about japan and my dumbass, like i went and did that with him for over five years something like
2: I do, I do love Johnny too. He's got a podcast called Got Faded Japan and I've been on it a couple of times. He's been on this podcast a few times, uh, great guy too. And that, that podcast is still going. I think it's, I think it started like a couple of years after we did, Um cool. yeah, That's big great. shout out to uh, Johnny Got Faded. But yeah, I think uh, Quincy
5: Sean and Johnny were the first ones to start that show. Incidentally, during that five years, I met my wife about 10 years ago through that podcast. Now I have three kids and a fucking 30-year home mortgage. So thanks for Whoa. that, Deep. Really appreciate that. But uh, Welcome. yeah, man, congratulations, 800 episodes. Uh, not a lot going on over here, you know, because of the COVID lockdowns over the last year and a half. Haven't been out a lot, but I do work remotely now. I was down in this dirty alley at this Korean chicken joint a little bit before noon the other day. I um, order my food. I'm sitting outside having a beer and a smoke, as you do when you work remotely, you know. And there's like eight dudes lined up for the Rub and Tug before they open. I guess they open at noon or something like that. (laughs) The dude at the end of the line, man, he had like two big bags of groceries in plastic bags, vegetables sticking out the top. I think I saw a tub of ice cream at the bottom of one of those motherfuckers. And uh, they open up the shop, and all those dudes go shuffling, and you... you, You've been here, man. These are little teeny rub-and-tug joints, right? And uh, there's not eight girls in there. There's probably two,
2: three. There were Those places were, like, all over Japan. These, like, little hole-in-the-wall, tiny little rub-and-tug kind of massage parlors, but they, I don't even think you had a massage. You just literally went in there, got a got hand a handy. job. Yeah, got I would a I'd be so
3: annoyed if, like, if my partner's gone out to get ice cream because I really wanted some ice cream and then you're waiting there for him to bring it back you're waiting ages and then when he brings it back it's just completely melted you can't do anything you can't refreeze that it's gonna get the crystals in it it's gonna taste like shit. that's your sunday ruined (laughs) your selfish behavior yeah
2: but he's gonna be in a better mood a better temperament
3: (laughs) probably do you think he feeds it to the late i think he's giving it as a present
2: you're not gonna get carpal tunnel yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, ha-
3: yeah, I have a technique.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if these like girls that work in these rubber tugs have to wear those like braces, you know, those like bowling gloves that you do and put it into
1: my claw <laughs>
5: <laughs> something like that. So I imagine these guys are standing in line kinda of thinking to themselves whose dick is gonna get jacked off before him. Um <laughs> They must have just, like, warmed up the fries because it's taken a while for me to get my food. Maybe ten minutes later, I see one of those dudes stumbling out doing the Walk of Shame. Uh, Not too sure what kind of JOs they're giving out in that joint, but they must be good because uh, I've never got a JO that quick before in my life, man. It's uh, Myself, sure, but not by someone else, man. (laughs) And, uh, anyways... Not a lot going on over here that that's about it and uh wanted to just call in and con- just
2: hanging out watching dudes just staying in line queuing <laughs> up to go get the j o go get jacked off. That's pretty much all I day. do these days
1: yeah you know it's a fun day. i did
2: I did hear that uh I think it was uh Johnny actually messaged me on Facebook and he was saying that in Japan right now. Bars are closed, like everything, because of COVID, everything's shut down. So they started opening up speakeasies.
3: Oh, excellent. Yeah, That's so fun. you have
2: to, like, know where to go. And there's all these, like, secret speakeasies throughout. Because it's a hardcore drinking culture over there.
3: Oh, completely. It's very, like, nearly um, nearly English, I would say, in the hardcore. We're I don't think they the can pool. drink
2: physically drink as much as the English, because the English can drink a lot. And I don't think like uh, the Japanese people have the stature to drink as much as the English people, but they fucking drink a ton. They drink all yeah. the time. It's a dr- It's definitely a drinking culture. I was I was blown away. Like I couldn't even I was like, oh, my God, you guys drink way more than we do in L.A.
3: Yeah, I could. I think if you ever tried to take away the pub in Britain, there would be riots.
2: Yeah, I don't know what would sure. happen. Well, I don't know what would happen here if they. I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't think that could happen here. But apparently, Johnny was like, oh, and I know where all the secret speakeasies are. So, awesome. I mean, Tokyo is such a
5: huge city. I bet you there's some cool ones. Congratulate you on 800 and somewhat episodes. And uh, I don't know what to say, D, man. <laughs> Good luck <laughs> on 800 more, dude. <laughs> like to see you back here in Tokyo to visit again, dude. I promise if we go out again i 'll take you somewhere where it 's not a ten to one ratio <laughs> until next time. <laughs> keep it sick, keep it wrong, and lick my fucking balls
3: yeah, ah,
5: thank you there,
2: Quanji Sean. yeah, we actually we went to it. we went out on his birthday. we got fucking proper fucked. went out with a couple of his mates, and uh, everybody. I mean, there were some people that were uh, from Japan, but then there were like all these other like expatriates. And we just like, yeah, got proper fucked up and hung out. But really cool guy. And uh, th- yeah, thanks for listening, man. All these years, years. And I do plan to make it back to Tokyo. I had, that was one country I recommend everybody should go check out. If you, yeah, if I've it, always wanted to uh, go. Yeah, on the bucket list. It was always one of the ones that was on my list because I had never been, really been to any Asian countries. Blown away by Japan. I mean, we were planning on going to, like, Osaka and all these other cities. We just stayed, like, the whole, I don't know, 14 days in Tokyo because Tokyo is that much fun.
3: Yeah, I'd love to go. I've always wanted to go. It seems like so... It's kind of like, you know, when you go to Greece and it's all in an alien language and it feels like you're out of place. But I imagine it's like that, but Asian.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is weird. You'd think, too, that in Tokyo... They'd be a little more like amenable to like English people or English speaking people, and they are at like certain major train stations, but the rest of the country, it's like you have to, you kind of have to figure it out.
3: Good, it I was, like
2: that. I, I highly recommend it. I had a blast, and uh, I will definitely be coming back, and I will be hitting you up, Sean. Cool um, people, thanks for calling the Signal Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Is that number? always love to hear from people. Um, we've been, we have been getting some great calls lately, actually. Um, finally here, uh, if you've listened to 800 episodes of this show, that means you're really into it, which means you probably want more than just one show a week. So if you sign up for the Patreon, you pretty much get two shows. It's like two shows worth of content. And then more stuff. if you pay a little bit more, you know? Uh, but for just five bucks a month, you get an extra story, you get phone calls, uh, you get our outtakes. Um, I think the news story this week was about a guy um, who uh, hatched a very harebrained, extremely violent plot to win his ex back. Uh, didn't Didn't go as smoothly as you think it would. Um,
1: for He's the
3: yeah outtakes, I was about to say with Jojo. Jojo has been on an adventure. (laughs) What is going on with Jojo? These last two outtakes have been fucking amazing.
2: Yeah, we kind of—I don't want to give too much away, but uh, yeah, I was talking about our last weekend. I was in Phoenix. I was talking about the trip to Phoenix, um, and uh, Jojo had an experience (laughs) with someone who I just want to say was more than a woman. You know, kind of like the B.G. song. She was was more than a woman to, to Jojo. And so uh, I, I tell that in the outtakes. But that's all just for five bucks. And if you want to spend five bucks more, you get the sick and wrong news segment. Uh, this week we were talking about Nirvana Baby suing the band for child porn. And, uh, the, and the Michigan parents who were ordered to pay $30,000 to their son. Their fucking ingrate of a son because they threw out his porn.
3: To their son, John
2: Steele. (laughs) (laughs) I thought for sure it was John Steele. And uh, finally, at the $10 level, too, you get the uh, bonus Sick and Wrong uh, mini-sode, Overkill, which uh, Kate did about Bobby Beausoleil this weekend, who, if you think about it, might have been programmed by Manson to kill that drug dealer. He wasn't. Hypno Program by Manson.
3: Hypno Toad. But yeah, Last of the Manson Month. I love Bobby Beausoleil. I actually, I've talked to Bobby Beausoleil in a roundabout way. Well, I have.
2: Kate supports uh, Bobby's release.
3: I do. I'm very behind uh, Bobby Beausoleil gaining his freedom. But Gavin, Gavin won't.
2: Angeline might.
3: Angeline, Team Pink.
2: I think he was programmed. I think he was a hypno-assassin. Uh, people go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We do appreciate it. Also, we got a new, we got a tea Public store. It's not a new store, but we do have some new designs up there. Go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. There's a whole like array of sick and wrong merchandise that you can buy. Um, it's, a, it's a good gift for an anniversary. Like, you know, when it's you, very
3: romantic.
2: Yeah, like when you're having an anniversary with your loved one, you're always kind of like, ah, what do I get? It's not like a birthday, so I don't want to go too crazy getting a birthday gift. Let me just get something from a podcast about Pukaki <laughs> and shit stories that I love that you'll love. It's almost a gift <laughs> that keeps on giving. So uh, just go to, go to the Tee public store and go get your, your wife a special sick and wrong gift on, uh, on, on your anniversary. I finally hear Sigurong Song of the Week. I got to say I'm gutted to uh, hear this. But uh, Charlie Watts, Rolling Stones drummer, and the band's irreplaceable heartbeat, I have to say, uh, died at age 80 this past week. Gutted and that's to hear it. that.
3: That's it for the Stones now. There will be no more Rolling Stones at all.
2: It's not the same.
3: It's the beginning of the end for them.
2: Yeah. Um, Watts uh, publicist confirmed his death In his statements with immense sadness That we announced the death of our beloved Charlie Watts He passed away peacefully in a London hospital On Tuesday Surrounded by his family Uh, The statement referred to Watts as One of the greatest drummers of his generation I would say so I would say so for sure Um, You know his death came several weeks After uh, the Stones Announced that he wasn't going to be able To um, go on tour with them they're, they're no filter tour of U.S. stadiums. I don't know if I was, I, a couple of friends of mine are going to that and I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to check that out.
3: It's always been too costly for me to ever go. I would like, take me back to the 1970s on like the Some Girls tour. Fuck yeah, I would have paid any amount of money to go see that. But like now, I mean, I just, I wouldn't pay that amount of money to see any band. Well, Anybody. they're also like not a, even a bunch John of Fogarty.
2: octogenarians like shaking about on stage. It's almost like I don't know from a from the the nosebleed seats that I would have. they are just like
1: exactly yeah,
2: look yeah. like a, a bunch of midgets with Parkinson's or something. I, I, I don't know if I'd be really into it.
3: I wish the nonce had died first instead <laughs> of <John>. the nonce <laughs> deserves to die first.
2: I know you mentioned Charlie. that? He was do the you,
3: nicest one.
2: Do you think the band's gonna keep touring?
3: No that's it they said that if um they had a Mick Keith and Charlie all had a pact whichever one of them goes first the band is over they can't go without Charlie they can't go without Keith they can't go without Mick so that's I, why it's even keep doing sadder it.
2: cuz they I already had they already had will. a replacement drummer for this tour
3: Mick yeah but he's dead now it's a bit fucking different i think mick might go on and do something he's he's always marched the beat of his own drum but i I think keith will be quite happy to just go and live the life
2: yeah god who knows how old keith I'm, i'm thinking keith's gonna be like 280 years old before he kicks it
3: Keith will be the last but I mean Mick Jagger is in supreme health he's been eating like he's had a mi- uh, a macrobiotic diet since the 1970s and he does ballet every fucking day I think he ballet, might does he he does ballet yeah he, I, I think he that. might just keep himself uh, spry until the bitter end
2: I bet they keep touring I bet they get a replacement drummer and they keep going
3: well, so much money.
2: It. So much money there.
3: I like to say that their packed meant
2: something. Charlie Watts drummed on so many amazing songs. I mean, just so many yeah. incredible songs. Uh, one of the greatest drummers. Um, we're going to play one from uh, one of my... Actually, one of my favorite songs. I know it's overplayed. I know it's one of their most popular hits. Uh, but it's from Beggar's Banquet, and it's apropos. Um, not only does it highlight Charlie's skills as a drummer, but this song actually is uh is topical for this show because the rolling stones were recording beggar's banquet in 1968 when robert kennedy was shot and so there's a lyric i'm sure everybody knows what i'm about to say there's a lyric in sympathy for the devil that was changed from quote i shouted out who killed john kennedy to i shouted out Who killed the Kennedys after RFK was shot? So he kind of was like, you know what? They both died. Got to mention both. Anyway, we're going to end the show here with Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones, one of my favorite songs. It's from uh, the opening track on their 1968 record, uh, Beggar's Banquet. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts. You will be missed. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 807. Until then, take it soon.
1: Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul of faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Damn sure the pilot Washed his hands And sealed his face Pleased to meet you Hope you guessed my name But what puzzling you Is the nature of my game Stuck around St. Petersburg when I saw it was a time for a change, killed the saw and its ministers. and Anastasia screamed in bay I rode a tank, held a generous rank. When the bliss free raged, and the is thing. Pleased to meet you, hope you guessed my.
0: They be The first wish, that I wish that Senator Kennedy was still alive. And I wish that every day that I've been here. Second one, that there should be peace in the Middle East.